power on. This episode of TIE Fighter Renegades is dedicated to David Browse. You set the tone for all that followed. It's TIE Fighter Renegades, a Star Wars podcast. It was a tale of two mega corporations. And oh boy, <laughs> are we going to talk about them throughout this episode? Uh, but, uh, you know, it's not going to be a, a, a total downer of an episode uh, by any means. And of course, it can never be a real downer when I'm being joined on TIE Fighter Renegades by none other than the man who is living the dream right now. That being Robin Freebeard, man, welcome back. Hell yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> yes, it has. It has. But, uh, you know, coming out with, I mean, you know, uh, I know you're enjoying life right now and, yes. uh, and, and that's a beautiful thing. And so, you know, we've been busy boys, but, uh, but coming out on top, I think. And man, well, anyway, there, there's so much, I know there are so many little stories, especially just within star Wars itself to say nothing of the broader science fiction that we often in entertainment that we often talk about. I know there have been so many that have dropped, um, but we're going to try and keep this kind of condensed. And you know that we got to talk about uh, the Mandalorian season two. We will certainly be reviewing all the way up to episode six or what is it technically chapter 14? If I got yes. that right. Yeah. I think it was called the tragedy anyway, uh, which dare I say it was anything, but, but I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. Um, we do got to, I think we should open up and talk about, uh, a loss in the star Wars family. And that of course is David Prowse who died at the age of 85. I believe the statement coming out now is that he did die from COVID. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was November 28th, 2020. So just a few days ago, as of this recording, um, I will open up and say uh, my my piece about David Prowse. Uh, he was he's actually the, not not that this I, I don't know how much this matters. Like, do, you know, hey, let me ask you this, Rob. Do autographs like mean anything anymore? Uh, I, I kind of feel like conventions are so prevalent and I, I don't know. It just seems a different world as far well, as autographs. Yeah, go. What do you think? Be, it's become such an industry now where mm -hmm. like you have just I, I think it's just one, maybe even two companies that are kind of like that control everything when it comes to like conventions and, and celebrities doing autographs. Mm -hmm. And basically you've always got this middleman, you know, uh, between you and, and the celebrity, you know, demanding quite a good chunk of change. Yeah. Whereas it used to be, I remember back in the day, like, you know, in the eighties and nineties where, you know, uh, you had access to these people and you could just ask for their autograph if you happen to see them around. And yeah. now it's all very tightly controlled and driven by money. Yeah. And certainly I can imagine where eBay ruined a lot of things, but yeah, well, regardless of any of that, uh, I mean, my, my point in bringing it up. And so in the nineties, this kind of mattered. 
uh, he is the only uh, autograph that I've ever gotten from a, a Star Wars uh, alumni from the Star Wars family. Um, and he was he, some I mean, it, it was almost a joke at the time. And, and I, I mean, no disrespect towards him, but he, he always knew it was his signature because he'd sign it, Dave Prowse. And then it would say, is Darth Vader like that's that was always his signature. Um, and everybody always thought it was weird. It's like, why does he always sign it as it's not just Dave Prowse? Like, you know, Mark Hamill wouldn't sign it. Mark Hamill is Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly this was I mean, I know Dave Prowse was in like Clockwork Orange and, you know, and other things. But, um, you know, definitely him as Darth Vader was was certainly his, his biggest note, uh, I think, for for most people uh, and understandably so. So anyway, I, I did get to meet him. Um, he seemed like a very nice guy, even though I think he had every reason to be, uh, you know, not so nice, uh, to be a very grumpy fellow. Uh, but I felt that, and, and apparently I have heard stories that like James Earl Jones, who of course did the voice of Darth Vader, David Prowse was just in the, you know, quote unquote, just in the outfit. Um, though I think that's a misnomer, uh, that James Earl Jones actually requested that his name, that James Earl Jones's name get removed from the credits and that it is solely put as Dave Prowse because he felt like Dave Prowse really did the acting with his right. just, you know, in the suit with his presence. And and I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I, I don't think people realize, and in fact, this will kind of speak to when we get into uh, the Mandalorian review, you know, Boba Fett captured imaginations with a lot more than just cool armor. You know, Darth Vader had that as well. There was like a movement. There, there's so many little signals that you get in human motion um, that make for different attitudes and how you receive the presence of somebody. Uh, David Prowse like really put on the power. Uh, yeah. And, and well, you, it wasn't, go ahead. It wasn't just the physical performance either, because if you actually, you know, there are recordings out there of David Prowse delivering the lines yes and those were recorded first Mm -hmm. and and in a lot if not most cases james earl drones delivered those lines in the same manner Uh just with his own voice right so you know he 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 was lending his voice in a way he kind of set the template sure and a lot of people thought he sounded funny and you know when they show it in conventions and stuff they, you know, they gets a lot of it used to get a lot of laughs because he has his accent and right. everything. And they thought it seemed like kind of ridiculous, which is why George Lucas wanted to replace him, because he he did thought it seemed like kind of ridiculous. But like I said, if you actually listen to the way that David delivers the lines, you can tell very much it's in the same way that you hear it in the movie. But those were recorded first. So, you know that James Earl Jones was very much emulating the tone in which David Prowse was delivering those lines. Right. I mean, so Dave, Dave Prowse literally set the tone in every way for who is Darth Vader? Uh, you know, what is Darth Vader? And yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think, I mean, a lot of people just, you know, as soon as they think Darth Vader, they think James Earl Jones. I, I mean, with respect, James Earl Jones, who did tremendous work, of course, uh, no, like even he was right. Dave Prowse is Darth Vader. When he signed it, he meant it. And it was true. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they're both gentlemen. So absolutely. I mean, yes. Really not yeah. that surprising. 
Yeah, no, totally right. Uh, I mean, you got, you got any thoughts you want to share on, uh, on, on Dave Prowse, uh, you know, your own experience. Did you ever have a chance to meet him? Did you No, I never had a chance to meet him. I did. I did watch the, the documentary that came out a couple of years ago. I am your father. Oh yeah. In 2015. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And where they, they, unfortunately they weren't able to show it, but they research shot the scene, uh, in return of the Jedi where, mm. you know, Luke takes his helmet off. And it's instead of, you know, uh, uh, being, um, Sebastian, uh, yeah, Sebastian Shaw, Sebastian uh, Shaw. Yeah. Instead of being Sebastian Shaw, you know, it was, it was David Prowse in the armor. Uh-huh. And, um, it, it was, it was, it was kind of touching because you could tell it was a very cathartic experience for him. Cause you know, he, he kind of felt like he got a raw deal in the way that he was treated by Luke's film. And I don't entirely disagree with that. He got blamed for a lot of the stuff. And so far as, you know, leaks uh, during uh, The Empire Strikes Back about, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Darth Vader being uh, Luke's father. But, you know, I mean, that's it's 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 not a much of a stretch because, you know, the the name Vader sounds very much like the word for father in German. Right. Right. So, I mean, it, it's not like the the idea was floating out there long before anybody in the cast or crew said anything about it and leaked anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like he, it just kind of in general, I don't feel like he got included, uh, in, in as much limelight as I think he really deserved within star Wars. Because yeah. again, I mean, for many people, Darth Vader's their favorite character. Right. Uh, and he's certainly the cornerstone of the whole fucking saga. Uh, yeah. and, and, and so to, yeah, to not give the guy who who really sold you, you know, Vader's badassery, to to not include him in so much. Uh, yeah, I, I feel there, there's there's some disrespect there. Yeah, uh, I remember there were there were entire fan scenes dedicated just to Darth Vader. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and you know, let let's call it. I mean, he's had an ongoing comic for however many years now. Right. Uh, you know, because Disney knows just how powerful that character is, and um. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, for most people since Disney took over, probably the most memorable scene in Star Wars is in Rogue One when you get Vader, you know, hacking and slashing some rebels, you know, down that hallway. Uh, I mean, you know, that wasn't David Prowse in that suit, but whoever you are, you're going to have to play by David Prowse's rules on on how Vader acts. And so, right. you know, we all have him to thank in a, in a very right, big way. Right. I mean, he's absolutely as key as I, I dare say he's as key as Mark Hamill or go down the list of, of any of the actors involved. Yeah. Well, I mean, even when they do interpretations of Vader in like animated shows like rebels, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's very much an imposing physical presence in that, you know, like they follow, you know, David Prowse's like, you know, physical intimidating presence. He's very much a tank. You yeah. Know, when they do him, you know, in the comics or in animated shows or whatever. And that's all because of David Prowse. Yeah. I mean, and you know, Dave Prowse, I mean, he was a bodybuilder. He was, he was a weightlifter. He would, I mean, he, he under, he had an understanding of power that you can only get, I think, or personal power that you can only have when you go through those kinds of motions. And, you know, not everybody does that, but he delivered it. I, I, I mean, he, and even though he didn't see it because of Vader's suit, I think you saw it in his aura, in his presence. Um, right. You know, he really, you know, 
he came in like Arnold Schwarzenegger, frankly. I mean, in, 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 a, in a real sense, you know, where he, he brought muscle to the mainstream. And, yeah, and, that's and, funny. In a I, was, way. I was just kind of thinking that, and like in very in a lot of ways, I feel like David Prowse was kind of like the British Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and certainly as, as big a role. Uh, I mean, I know he didn't get to do a whole lot, but man, when you get to say I, I was Darth Vader, you know, like, well, well, what else do you want to do the rest of your life? Right. So, so that's not bad. Uh, but uh, in any case, I mean, granted, he hadn't been involved in, in some time and hadn't been active in some time um, and was probably well, he, dealing with. Go ahead. Well, he wanted to be. I mean, the thing mm-hmm. is, is because of the 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 unfortunate relationship between, you know, Lucasfilm and him is that he was not invited. Out of the can- fan conventions over the last couple of decades. Yeah. That that's a pity. It yeah, is. I, I I saw him in New York. This was in the '90s, and it was like at Comic Con back when that was a little more indie. Uh, right. So they would allow that sort of thing. But yeah, well, in, in any case, uh, you know, certainly uh, a loss to the Star Wars family. Uh, I think he got the chance to tell a lot of his stories in the past few years, thankfully. Yes. Um, you know, so we got that. Uh, but uh, certainly, rest in peace. Uh, anything else you got on that, Rob? No. All right. Well, then I guess we'll move on to, uh, to our next, uh, shall we say order of business? Uh, even though we do this for kicks, <laughs> we put ourselves through some shit sometimes to do it, but, uh, but we do this for kicks. Uh, why don't we get right into what I would dare say is, is really the good stuff. Um, and certainly going to be a good chunk of the good stuff for this episode. And I know it's something I've gotten the emails, uh, that people have wanted you and I to talk about uh, for some weeks now, because we are, well, I guess it was end of, was it October 30th? It was end of October of 2020 yeah. that Mandalorian season two uh, finally graced us. And I will use that unironically. Um, we're, we're six episodes deep and well, I guess I'll just start it off and then I'll, I'll, I'll ask a, a bit of overview from you, uh, Rob. I mean, I'm just going to say it. This has been fucking great. Yeah. I mean, uh, like just brilliant television. Uh, uh, every episode has been, I, I feel like there is no filler. Uh, every episode has just been jam packed with great stuff. Um, we've had a lot of, dare I say, dreams come to life mm-hmm. uh, in, in this show, which is remarkable. And, and the, the, before I turn it to you, the, the only thing I want to say is, is that I am both in awe and pleased at the amount of, and we're not just, it's not just coming from ain't it cool news or whatever, but from the amount of news outlets, I guess I'll say, or outlets, bloggers, whatever, who have come out and said, why didn't Disney just give Favreau and Filoni star Wars in 20, you know, 2014, 2013, whatever. Uh, Why didn't they just do that from the get go? You know? And that to me is one of the most vindicating things for you and I, Rob, because I mean, we've been saying give it all to Filoni right now and you know, for years. Right. Um, and so for, you know, for everybody else to catch up, I'm glad you caught up. I'm not, I'm not even going to rip on you, you know, like I'm, I'm glad <laughs> you're here and that you realize just how damned good Filoni is. Uh, so anyway, Rob, I mean, how have you, you know, again, I, I feel very positive about it. How do you feel about Mandalorian season two overall? I mean, I, I really, I cannot disagree with anything that you just said. Mm-hmm. And I just want to preface this by saying, if I say anything that you interpret as negative, 
about this show, understand that I fully recognize that it's just nitpicking at this point. <laughs> and it's not even really like, you know, meaningful nitpicking. It's just sort of like, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm a mega fan. So this is right. just, it comes with the territory. So understand right. that I really, I, I do not dislike the show in any way whatsoever. It is fantastic. Like you said, it's, it's great that we finally see Star Wars in the hands of the people that it belongs in mm-hmm. because the, um, you know, the, as it stands, the, 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 the shows, the, the live action shows on Disney plus are the center of the franchise right now. Yes. Uh, you know, there, there, there were plans for movies. It seems like many of those plans have been either put on hold or canceled outright. Mm-hmm. So this, this is where the focus of star Wars is right now. So we, we can say with confidence that, you know, you know, Favreau and Filoni are are pretty much in charge of what's going on. Yeah, you know, I want I want to speak quick to like that point about nitpicking. Nitpicking, I've always felt like, and this is since I was like a little kid. They used to have these books for the next for Star Trek: The Next Generation called the Nitpickers Guide to the Start to Star Trek: The Next Generation. Right. They made them for the original series too, uh, eventually because they were so popular. But here's the thing: you only nitpick because something's that fucking good. Exactly. That's all you that that you just become so passionate about it. It's all you can do. Right. You know, and so it, like nitpicking, I think is is a is a form of flattery. Uh, and certainly, yeah. <laughs> certainly not yeah. a negative. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, so I totally hear you on that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we, you and I hadn't talked in a little bit, and so I wasn't sure if, if you were digging it because you know you're, you're, you're good at seeing things from unique perspectives, and and I, I, I was always kind of wondering, I'm like, boy, is Rob, is he, is he not feeling it? I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, for me, and and you know, you've talked about it in in you know p- recent past episodes of Tie Fighter Renegades. Uh, how, you know, you're feeling the, um, the franchise fatigue, you're feeling, mm-hmm. you know, a little burned out with star Wars and everything. Yeah. I mean, especially after episode six or chapter 14 of Mandalorian, like it, it lit a fire in me again. Uh, I mean, I, I just, it, it was that to me, it was that good, uh, that, that I felt like, wow, I, I feel like I can really get into Star Wars again. Yeah. And we can talk about more uh, of the why, um, but I, I want to get into some of the episodes uh, a little more in particular, at least some of the major events. I mean, it's tough to really like talk about every single episode. Um, but, I mean, we've had some big things happen here. We've had Bo-Katan, uh, you know, come into real life, who was just yeah. an animated character. Yeah. Uh, and now she is the real and, deal. And go ahead. And 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 brilliant move on our part to, to to I mean just go to the actress who was already playing the part. And Katie Stackoff just did a phenomenal job. I mean, as you would expect, she would. Yeah, and before anybody says anything, I mean, like I I I like Katie Stackoff. I think she's fantastic. Um, I am notorious for my my. Uh, <sighs> despising of <laughs> that's putting it mildly <laughs> that's a very mild term uh of, of new Battlestar galactica but <laughs> but for me she was never the problem you know like i i thought i thought the idea of having a female starbuck was great because in my opinion dirk benedict was so goddamn sexy the only thing you you, you couldn't find another guy that could fill those shoes the only thing you could yeah. put in there was a woman you know i mean yeah. i mean that that could live up to that well and the so, funny thing is <laughs> 
the, the funny thing was, is like when the news came out, I remember back in the day, like Dirk Benedict had a problem with mm. them casting, you know, a female in the role. And then he actually like sat down and had coffee with her and they were like bros. Yeah. 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 Man, sitting down, having coffee with Dirk Benedict. Talk about right? me and talk about exciting me. Uh, <laughs> so, well, anyway, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a, an odd connection of degrees to have, you know, a, a Galactican as it were uh, in star Wars now, because, you know, there's some, there's some bad blood uh, going back to 78 with all that, but yeah. regardless, um, yeah, I mean, we got Katie Sackhoff in. She did a tremendous job. Um, the, I mean, the impressive thing is, is that the timing, you know, the placement after Return of the Jedi of the Mandalorian gives us a lot of opportunity to to really take advantage of the people that had been working in the animated uh, realm since the aughts, you know, uh, the early aughts even. And like, so everybody aged right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and And we're very fortunate in that. Uh, but I, I thought she was she was fantastic uh, and also opened up, I think, for a lot of people really running questions, certainly for me as well, is that how come the Mandalorians in season one of the Mandalorian don't act like the Mandalorians I really knew from the Clone Wars? You know, right. like what's all this hot stuff about, you know, not wanting to take off their helmets and all this other thing? You basically right. find out that they're a very specific cult um, that, uh, you know, that that our favorite Mandalorian belongs to. Uh, or, well, I don't know if he's our favorite Mandalorian, but he's the Mandalorian in the Mandalorian. And uh, I thought that was a really, really cool explanation uh, to, you know, to, to bring in that they were just, I mean, because that happens in all kinds of different uh, 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 cultures, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can think yeah. like all the different denominations in Christianity. Why wouldn't that be a thing with the Mandalorians? What, what are your thoughts on that, Rob? Well, just really quickly, I mean, th there's still a little bit of mystery surrounding that whole thing. Because mm -hmm. if you, you think back to the, the flashbacks that he was having when he was a kid during the Clone Wars, yeah. uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was Death Watch who came and came down and, and basically rescued him. So they had the Death Watch colors, that's for sure. And yeah, even the, yeah. Like the well, I think they had, yeah, I think they had the, the shoulder logo, you know, like the, the three prongs or claw marks or whatever they were. Mm -hmm. uh, that, the, that death watch uses. Right. And so like, it's kind of like, it, it's, it's a mystery. Like, well, how did he get into this splinter group of Mandalorians? If his introduction to the Mandalorian culture was with death watch and why doesn't he recognize them when he sees them, you know, arrive on that ship? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you know, actually real quick, I mean, and, and we're usually, we, we speculate responsibly, uh, and I, and I'm very careful with rumors, but rumor has it that they are, that Disney's already casting for a prequel show to the Mandalorian. So we might get answers along those lines, either from that or further on into the show. Yeah. Um, but again, that's just rumor. I'm not gonna, not gonna verify that one. Um, well, I mean, you know, it, 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 it. I, I I could definitely see that happening just from a uh, business standpoint, you know, why fix what ain't broken and just when you've mm -hmm. got a hit run with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and I, you know, I'm not afraid of the word prequel, like let's do it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I have no problem with, with them wanting to explore more of the Mandalorians and especially since again, really, yeah. Like I remember the Karen Travis books for um, Republic commandos, 
Mm-hmm. And she spent a ton of time and she even got to later on write more about like Boba Fett and whatever. And this is in the old expanded universe. She even wrote like the Mandalorian language, like this hunter language, all great stuff. She explored really, really deeply into Mandalorian culture. And I love seeing all of this getting baked in right. um, and, and being used and being canon again. And I, and that's very important to say that like, well, it's canon again uh, because for a little while there, I, I, you know, I wondered uh, what that was going to, to, to look like. Right. Um, wow. There's so much to talk about with what happened in this. Uh, I guess I, I kind of want to skip ahead. Yes, folks, we're going to talk about Ahsoka, but I don't want to get there yet. Um, I want to skip ahead a bit because we get an answer that in the old EU we knew, but then when Disney took over again, it all became a debate. And for some people, the books never meant anything anyway, even 20 years ago. Uh, we now know that, you know, spoiler alerts, Boba Fett's alive. Um, he survived the Sarlacc pit, uh, which I mean, they were hinting at anyway in the episode with the, uh, that, that I'm sure Brian Herbert is shitting himself over, uh, with the, (laughs) with the the giant crate dragon that looks better than any sandworm he ever thought of. <laughs> I love it when Floney Floney's not just doing great Star Wars, he's doing great Dune while he's yeah, at it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> there were even jokes in the Dune subreddit about that. About, hey, I want to watch Dune, but it's not out yet. Well, I'll just go on TV and watch The Mandalorian instead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. I, I think it's it's so great. I mean, and does he get it out ahead of Dune's release date? Yeah. Bravo, yeah. you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was I I really I like a part of me thinks that was on purpose getting I mean yeah they changed the way that we know about create dragons but like that was like episode two of this season I think when they introduced that right uh, and that would have been just ahead of the original November release slot for for uh, uh, Villeneuve's Dune. So, uh, yeah, there's a part of me, I, I think they were trying to take that on. I mean, I, I could really, really see that happen. And, and at, to bolster that point, a conversation we're going to have towards the end of this show, I think might, might, might add some color uh, there because, well, we're going to talk about Warner Brothers. So anyway, um, just a thought. But uh, in that episode, you know, and, and they kind of they were sort of talking about like a Sarlacc pit and everything. And they did hint at the idea that, well, you, you could like blow yourself out of his belly or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. there was, a, there was like a one liner in there. And of course, right. then at the end of that, we got to see Boba Fett. Right. Um, so not a surprise. We we've known for a while now that Boba Fett was still alive. We just basically got full on confirmation, but more importantly than Boba Fett being alive. And, and I want to get your take on this Rob, because it feels like we got a bit of retconning uh, and, and I'm, I'm for it. Like I'm, I'm bullish uh, on it is that Django Fett, and Boba Fett are in fact Mandalorians, or at least Jango Fett was a foundling. Yeah. Right. And of course, Boba Fett's, you know, a a clone of him. And, and um, I mean, there's, there's an interesting idea that, and, and they mentioned like these Mandalorian little civil wars, which were covered in a comic book series about Jango Fett. And you find out that like Jango Fett's entire clan that he, or group that he's working with, you know, was killed off. Um, well, and interesting I, too, because like there was the whole thing about the the quote true Mandalorians, mm-hmm. which like you kind of there there are echoes of that in the show now with sort of this 
different kind of Mandalorian cult that we have the titular character in. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it, it just, I mean, they're making the, the whole Mandalorian aspect uh, of, of Star Wars has just become infinitely more interesting. Um, I, I mean, and it was brilliant for them to concentrate on that because it's something everybody knows, but it's also not the Empire or the Rebellion slash New Republic. And but you so you get to expand on it, but you know that it's related to everything, all the other politicking that's going on or right. it's happening kind of underneath it. So it was a really, really smart move. But I, I mean, because George Lucas like made the statement, no, Django Fett's not a Mandalorian. But now the Mandalorian is effectively saying, oh, yes, he is. Uh, he was a foundling. And I, I feel like there's a very powerful statement in that to where now there's more of an understanding I think why, because I was thinking about this, um, like why, why did Django have a, want a clone of himself? Like what was, what was behind that? And I think now you can kind of assume this was his way of his clan going on, you know, right. like he, he, there wasn't a woman that he could get with, um, but he, he allowed, he, he created like a direct lineage, uh, a progression of lineage of his Mandalorian clan. Uh, and now there's something very powerful in that. And, and Boba Fett becomes uh, himself a far more interesting character. And Jango Fett becomes a far more interesting character. Uh, again, I, I think, you know, more so than the reveal of yay, Boba Fett's back, which is awesome. And he was great. I think there's something far more powerful in just getting some clarification on the history or, or yeah. you know, in setting it in stone. What do, what do you got, Rob? Well, it's, I agree, and and I, the Mandalorians have had a lot of you know what you might consider retconning mm-hmm. over the 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 past you know decade and half, I would say, with with what Dave Filoni did in the Clone Wars and with Rebels, right? Um, and and he has not what and everything he's done, he has not been inconsistent. Like in Rebels, we learn that uh, you know the armor is very much a family thing. It's not yes. just a cultural thing, but it's a family thing too. You know, Sabine talks about how she forged her own armor mm-hmm. in her clan stronghold or whatever it was. And that, you know, that, that armor does get passed down or at least the, the, the best car from, from the armor gets passed down through the family. Yeah. 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 Uh, Again, that, that ex, the exploration of that culture overall and then like tying together all these characters, just just brilliant. And I mean, the fact that we're going to get, you know, episodes going forward, I mean, we're going to get Boba Fett clearly, um, you know, working with, you know, Din Djarin, like that's. I, I just think this is going to be so cool. I, yeah. I, I, I just I love what they've got going on. Well, and it, it, it's it like you said, it makes the Mandalorians as a whole so much more interesting that they they are so kind of like fractured mm-hmm. in a way because you have your your basically your your non-interventionist, almost pacifist Mandalorians that we saw in the Clone Wars. Right. We haven't seen them since then. It'd be curious to know, like, you know, are there any of those kinds of Mandalorians left in the post empire days. Right. Uh, and then you had, you know, of course the whole death watch faction, which they considered themselves part of that same culture. 
Yeah. And then you have these this Mandalorian cult that, you know, the titular character is involved in that even the Death Watch considers as extremists. Whereas Death Watch were like the extremists that we knew before. Yeah. So they you know, you have like all these just different levels of extremism that are just so <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and again, speculate responsibly. I would love it if, uh, uh, well, I'll say the name, if if Grogu um, ended up with like Satinites, for lack of a, of a better term. Basically, you know, that, that would like he would end up with peaceful Mandalorians, you know, like mm-hmm. more pacifist Mandalorians like Duchess Satine from, you know, from the Clone Wars. Um It'd be interesting if somehow things wormed in that way, but whatever. I'm just tossing that out there. I have no no damned clue uh, if that would happen, and and most people probably wouldn't get it if they if it did anyway. So um, that said, well, I uh, I will say this, and I think this is great. This is that uh, I've I've been very negative towards the press surrounding Star Wars for a Mm -hmm. long time, but I will give them credit where credit is due. They are encouraging people who are really getting into the Mandalorian. And if they haven't watched Clone Wars or Rebels or even the the prequel movies, that they go back and they get the context. Right. So the fact that they're doing that now, where like those sections of the, you know, the franchise have always been kind of like the redheaded stepchild of Star Wars Mm -hmm. are now getting their due, you know, from, from the press. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is one of the more powerful things with, with the Mandalorian for me is that my, and, and I know you have it too, uh, Rob, I mean, my extensive, ridiculously, uh, preposterously should not be extensive knowledge of star Wars history actually like pays off. Right. Um, like it has, it, it has a point, uh, and, and as to where that was not true with much of everything else that, that, Disney has done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, as opposed to everything else that seems to be going on our world right now, where context means absolutely nothing. Yeah. This is the one place you get it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, I mean, I guess, why don't we, why don't we segue this right into the conversation of, I, I mean, it, it's kind of, I wouldn't mind it if we had like one more episode to breathe before you brought in Boba Fett. Um, because in the previous episode, episode five or chapter 13, we got the live action reveal of none other than Ahsoka Tano mm-hmm. um, being played by Rosario Dawson. Uh, and that was, I mean, when you go, when you do like the almost a frame by frame comparison of Ahsoka, her movement and action, especially with the lightsaber, you know, in Clone Wars or Rebels, more particularly, I guess I should say in Rebels with what they put on in the Mandalorian. I mean, it's, it's perfection. And of course, Filoni was right there to make sure it looked that good. Um, but I, I want to ask like, overall, what did you think of the reveal? And what did you think? What do you think of Rosario Dawson as, as Ahsoka? I thought she did a fantastic job. Yeah. I mean, it was just, yeah, she's the character now. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has to, she has to, she still has to uh, share it with, with Ashley Eckstein. And yeah. that's, that's fine. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like, and, and there's even been rumors that, you know, this, this particular episode of the Mandalorian is going to serve as sort of a backdoor pilot for her own show. 
which I'm I'm all for. You know, give give me more. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I totally agree. I thought she knocked it right out of the park. Um, the first the first five minutes of of episode five uh, of, of season two were, were jaw dropping. Just seeing her go on the attack, you know, and 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 taking out like all these guys, you know, on her own, and it was awesome. I mean, absolutely. And uh, I know that like even Rosario Dawson has, uh, you know, of course she's gotten a lot of press around herself lately. Um, but yeah. she's brought it up where she said that George Lucas was on set, uh, one of the days of filming when she was, you know, there as Ahsoka, And she said that George Lucas and Filoni were looking at her, but they, they weren't looking at her. Uh, they were looking at their imagination coming to life. And, I, I thought that was so poignant and just an amazing. We we could do a whole episode about Ahsoka because she was so universally hated. And as a character, when, when like the first Clone Wars uh, movie dropped mm-hmm. and then so universally loved, like now she, she is Star Wars in a, in yeah, a real, right? very real way. Like the, she... the whole damn show is about her in a very real way. She she is yeah well she like embodies a lot of things that I've come to love in you know the post original trilogy mm-hmm. you know uh, Star Wars the most I mean she you know without a doubt you know the the uh, the, the episode Twilight of the Apprentice and the the uh, conclusion of the sexy second season of Rebels yes. is probably one of my favorite Star Wars moments of all time ever. Tear jerking, literally yeah. tear jerking. Yeah, yes. it is. It is one of the most emotional moments in Star Wars ever. It is just so, and it it means so much more if you do have all of that context from the Clone Wars and watching that journey where you see her start out as a Padawan. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'll tell you, I'm totally on board with this being like some kind of backdoor pilot. Um, I was. I mean, I, I think I, I yelped uh, when she asked uh, the villain in, in the in the episode, uh, where's Grand Admiral Thrawn? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Where is he? <laughs> Let's do this. And, uh, I mean, that. that. Well, I mean, yeah. it, it, it and, and it, here again, he's he Filoni is connecting everything together, because if you watched the the series finale of, you know, Rebels, you know that the last thing that we saw Ahsoka do was to connect with Sabine to go find Ezra. Right. And they know if they find Thrawn, they can find Ezra. Yeah. Yeah. Which might be like the real goal here. Um, it was not uninteresting that she, you know, Ahsoka tells, uh, uh, you know, Din to take Grogu. To, to Tython. Now we could have a whole conversation around Tython because that's another. Right. You know, I mean, Filoni does such a great job with, and I, I don't even like calling it retconning because I usually see that as a negative, but Filoni does such a great job with that sort of thing. Like if he wants to take Tython back as like the home of the Jedi compared to Octo, uh, I, I'm, I'd be on board with that. But anyway, like a part of me wonders if she had Din take, uh, you know, take him to, um, 
I keep wanting to call him Goku, which that, that would have been fine. Like if they wanted to, <laughs> if they wanted to name him after Dragon Ball Z, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to talk about power levels. What the fuck, you know, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, but anyway, you know, that she wanted uh, Grogu to go to Tython so that he could call yes. Ezra. Yeah. You know, and, and that that's exactly what would happen. Like, this right. was all part of her plan. Not that she yeah. didn't want to train Grogu, I, but that she had a different idea. What do you got? I thought the same exact thing. I Aha. thought, like, basically, you, you know, Grogu was, was Ezra Bate, essentially. Yeah, 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 Ezra Bate. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, like, horrible and great at the same time. I know, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, though, I, you know, I mean, another thing, like... And, and, and again, at the end of the, 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 the Ahsoka episode, of course, we saw, uh, the dark troopers, um, yes. another nice inclusion in my opinion, uh, to get some recognition for dark forces. Um, a, the way that they have been portraying Thrawn in the new Canon developing new technologies, um, including ones that were a part of star Wars video games, frankly, uh, has been a modus operandi for him. And particularly like with the tie defender, uh, and I would think some other things, um, a part of me, well, I'll tell you in, in episode six, I was expecting to see Yusumari, uh, like, you know, to, to control Grogu, mm. um, but they weren't there. But anyway, dark troopers feels that feels like something that, that Thrawn would, would develop and that, right. that, that he would right. have. Well, there are shades uh, of that even in rebels. If you remember, mm-hmm. they like when they had, um, they, those those machines and they even looked like the 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 planet destroyers from the uh, the Dark Empire series yes. comic series, but uh, you know on board there there were those 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 uh, imperial droids if you will they didn't call them dark troopers but they certainly mm-hmm. kind of looked like a a dark trooper sort of prototype. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I am wondering if Thrawn's hand, pun intended. Mm. If, if the hand of Thrawn is behind, uh, Moff Gideon and I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you, I was half expecting once I saw the dark troopers, I was like, maybe Grogu's going to call Kyle Katarn like that. I, I mean, it'd be out of the blue, uh, but I wouldn't mind it. You know, I, yeah. I do think Ezra's the better chance. Um, because what, what do we got? We, so there's like four Jedi basically we know that are out there. You have, uh, what's, what's the guy's name from uh, fallen order? Uh, Cal Kestis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cal Kestis. So as far as we know, he's alive at this point. Yeah. Um, And we also have his, we don't know if she's still alive, but there, mm -hmm. he was his teacher. Right. She was a Jedi. Right. Uh, we have, of course, Luke, you know, Luke's out there. Yeah. Um, and you have, I mean, Ahsoka's not exactly a Jedi. No. Uh, and yet, you, you know, and you have, if I don't know if I already said Ezra, but then you have Ezra and like, right. th- those are basically like the four people, you know, that, that, that Grogu could base could access. But again, bringing in the dark troopers, I mean, a part of me wondered, it's like, Hey, are they, they going to bring in Kyle Katarn out of nowhere? I mean, they'd have to wreck on a lot of his history. Uh, thanks Jenner. So, but uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd be fine with it. Yeah. So. Well, anyway, that, that's going to be a, that's going to be a very fun there's, little there's, mystery. Go ahead. There's got to be a, a new term for this where like you're not retconning something, but you're bringing it back. You're reconning it. Reconning. Okay. I, well, I mean, as long as we don't say reconnaissance. Re, re, right. Recon, yeah. yeah. 
I, I do like this reconning uh, because, that, because that's really what he's doing. And it's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. 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 You need, I mean, he's not bringing back exactly the way you remember it, but it's certainly paying enough, you know, homage to it that you clearly recognize what it is and where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do think it's his, it's Filoni's sly way of talking to people like him saying, Hey, you know, don't worry. One of us is in charge. It's okay. Right. Yeah. Well, I think uh, what you talked about earlier with, with the time period of the shows being five years after return of the Jedi, I mean, that's, that's a very beloved time period and what is now known as star Wars legends, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of, we're like, a lot of us ended up growing up and, and living in the Star Wars universe a long time was through, you know, the, the Dark Empire and the, the original Tron novels. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and, and all the RPG games and stuff like that, which we know, you know, Dave Filoni, was, he, he was one of us, essentially. Yes. He was a super fan like we were back in the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, he's being so smart in bringing these elements in and he knows he's also smart enough that he knows he doesn't have to beat you over the head with it. And like, he doesn't have to give you any grand explanation around dark troopers or anything. It's like, you know, dark troopers show up. The people that know are going to know, you know, exactly what that is, where it's from. And, and and, go ahead. And that's where, if I have any criticism right now, is just that like, unfortunately I'm, not surprised by much of what Dave Filoni does at these points. It's, it's, it's almost a little bit too predictable for me. And then, and I hate to call it fan service cause it's, it is, but it isn't, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he is making like that segment of, of the star Wars fan population has been ignored for too long. And it does yes. need to be called out to, to say, Hey, we're still here. We still care and love about, you know, we still care about and love all the same things that you do about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you know, like, you know, at the, at the end of the, the episode five, when, you know, when you see Moff Gideon, like you kind of see these figures in the shadow on the side of the room. Like, I, I mean, I knew immediately that those were dark troopers. There was no yeah. question in my mind about it. Yeah. And so when they did show up, it was not a surprise at all. And yeah, no, so go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, and I know you're just nitpicking. I know, I know you're loving it all the same. Um, isn't it, isn't it nice to like be able to predict what's going to happen? Because <laughs> previously we had no fucking idea. And it's not because we didn't have any fucking idea. Cause we just didn't know star Wars or something like that. It's because nobody had a goddamn plan, right? you know? And, and so like, it's nice that. Cause I agree with you. Like, I mean, we're even picking up on multiple possibilities right. without having talked to her, talk to each other about any of these. Um, and that's because I, I think there's a comfort that, well, no, Filoni does have a plan and he is dropping, he is laying seeds for what is to come. And so we can, we can predict again, like we can guess again and, and might actually get some payoff because ruin Ryan Johnson isn't going to, you know, come in next week. Um, and, and so it's, I don't know, it, it's very comforting. I mean, I, and also I hear you about the fan service, especially it was definitely thick, um, in, in episode six, but at the same time, like we keep getting told that you can't do fan service and entertain like the more moderate fan 
or the regular TV viewer. Like you can't have both. I think episode six proved all of that wrong. Right. That absolutely. You, you can have all the fan service in the world and have people instantly know things without you even talking about it, without you even, you know, mentioning it. I mean, even like, like the, the, the rifle that, uh, that, that Fennec was carrying, like I knew what that was, you know, I mean, it, it's insane, you know, and, but then at the same time, like I've been watching it with, uh, with Ellen and, you know, she, I mean, she's seen star Wars, of course, you know, I, I've, I've put her through the fire and, but at the same time, like, you know, she doesn't have like the history that you and I, you know, an experience that you and I do Rob. And she's loving this show. I mean, she's, she's loving everything about it. And even and if she doesn't get all too. the references, go ahead. That's the, and that's the thing too, is I'm almost jealous of that experience. Oh yeah. Same. I wish I could, I wish I could have that experience of actually not knowing all that stuff and experiencing some of this stuff for the first time as sort of like a, a star Wars virgin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, this, this, this is a great way to get people in who haven't experienced star Wars. This is, this show is perfect for that. And, and there's so many different, you know, rabbit holes you could dive down into mm-hmm. with this show. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, cause again, it's amazing because this proves everybody else wrong. You can please the hardcore fans. You can give them what they want. You can, you can respect their intelligence and you can bring in new people, you know, or, or, or you can entertain the more moderate types. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's remarkable, you know, because I mean, I mean, I've heard these arguments since, you know, the old Star Trek days. It's, it's, anyway, go ahead. There, there was actually a bit of fan service in episode five where we had Sasoka too, that mm-hmm. wasn't Star Wars fan service. But uh, if you are an Aliens fan, you couldn't wait for Michael Bean's character to finally fire off that blaster, the, that basically that shotgun blaster he had. Because, yeah. you know, you know, Michael Bean is the shotgun guy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I, I thought that that was, I mean, just seeing Michael B, you know, that, that's another amazing thing too. I feel like Filoni and Favreau, you know, they're, 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 I don't know exactly how old they are, but I think most of us are kind of child children of the eighties, right. Uh, in a real way, regardless of if we were single digits or double digits at that time, it's amazing how many like eighties action superstars that they are just dropping everywhere right. they can. And, and I love it. Like, I, I mean, it's amazing. I, every episode I watch, I go, well, there, oh, there's them, you know, and, and, and I haven't seen them in 30 years. That, right. That's great. Yeah. And, and I'm glad because it's giving all these guys like, and gals some, some last shots, you know, because they might not be with us much longer. Right. Uh, well, not only that, it was like, I was almost sad that he died in the end. Cause I, Oh man, you know, like we're never going to see that character again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, so, well, another, another, let's, let's get into another point here. Uh, something we're never going to see again. I was stunned that the razors, uh, razor crest was destroyed. Just didn't yeah. see that coming at that, all. That was a surprise. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, like as, as much as I'm going to harp on the, 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 the predictability of the Mandalorian this far, that was sort of like a gut punch that I didn't see coming. Yeah. And amazing too, because, you know, ever since season one of game of Thrones, when they offed Sean Bean, um, everybody tries to do like that first season or whatever, like, like big shocker death, you know, uh, Mandalorian didn't have to do that, but I feel like they achieved something very similar when that ship, which went through the ringer in the first chunk of this season, uh, 
you know, just is just gone. I mean, it's just gone. You know, now it's a good bet that that, uh, you know, Din is going to end up with Slave One. But um, yeah, I, I was like that. That was uh, was totally unexpected when that blew. Uh, but but nice, nice move, um, yeah. I think. I mean, I, do you have any thoughts on it? Uh, I would just be repeating everything you just said. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Um, well, I guess we should also talk about what do you think about Baby Yoda's real name, Grogu? How do, how do we feel about this? Um, I I don't have any like big feelings about it one way or the other. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 definitely a Star Wars name. So I mean, yep, <laughs> sounds like a five year old said it. So, right, yeah, it's right, a Star Wars exactly. Name. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I. <laughs> I, I I do think it's kind of cute that you know uh, uh, you know every time somebody says his name he goes oh you yeah. know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is that is great uh, yeah I, same I, same ex- same exact I don't really have a strong feeling I don't think it's great but I also don't think it's bad you know right. like it's just fine um, I think it would have been a little more interesting if it ended with an oddle but you know similar yeah. to maybe yeah. a yaddle but yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It, it works. Um, it, it, it was nice that we got the confirmation of, you know, some of his history. The fact that he did grow up in the, the Jedi Temple during the Clone Wars. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's kind of like, well, who? what other members of his species were around at that time that could have. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, it does point at, well, there's there is a chance that Yoda and Yaddle, you know, uh, yeah. you know, he, they, they, he pulled out his lightsaber and, you know, <laughs> the, like, <laughs> the business was done. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the only way these things can get settled is with your mastery of the lightsaber. I mean, that's, <laughs> right. Yeah. And Yoda is the grand master of, you know, all lightsaber, you know, schools. So, yeah. I mean, well, what do you think? I mean, did they do form seven or form six? Like what? Well, wait, form sevens when you get into dark side stuff, you can't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if, if the end of the last episode's any indication, you know, uh, Grogu might have a little dark side in him. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah, that was great when he was like tossing around the storm. Yeah. Troopers. Right. Right. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. So, you know, something else I want to, because when they're having Dr. Pershing, uh, you know, like they, they play that hologram of, of him talking about the child, you know, talking about Grogu. Uh, I just want to say how much I love, even though they didn't get to say the whole word that they said M count, uh, when talking about the blood of, of Grogu. And of course it's, it's clear they're talking about midichlorians. Um, and okay. I I wish they would have just you know, I wish Disney would have just let them say midichlorians. Um, but at the very least, I'm glad it's in there. And, you know, I mean, that, I can't remember the last time midichlorians were ever talked about. And, and, I, and I, me personally, I'm pleased that, that it, it got jammed in. Uh, I thought that was a, a good jab at people, including a jab, in my opinion, at JJ Abrams. Yes. Who absolutely. Fuck him for saying that. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I don't like the midichlorians, so I'm never going to talk about it. And then Filoni just comes in. Well, I like midichlorians, and so I'm going to sneak it in. Fuck you. I, I mean, that that's awesome. Right. So, yeah, I love that. Well, I've said this before, and I keep saying that is, is I, you know, I, I still think there there's a slim chance 
for Filoni or somebody to like him to backdoor some of George Lucas's ideas for the sequel trilogy into mm-hmm. the franchise again. And I really hope that does happen because I think he had some really interesting ideas. Yeah. You know, that's something I didn't put it in the show notes, but there was that, there was that, a uh, uh, fairly big reveal of that was from one of the, cause there's multiple star Wars archives books that have been coming out. Right. Um, but there was a fairly big reveal around a lot of like that, that Leia was supposed to be the chosen one or yeah. would end up being the chosen one that Darth Maul would be the big bad in the sequel trilogy. If George Lucas had his hands on it. Right. Um, and like, <laughs> I, I, I think I, I shared it on, on my, uh, on my, you know, Twitter profile, I shared that story and I said, it's like, you know, just, just this article is better than the entire sequel trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> was- well, I mean, we had, and we, from what we've seen of Colin Trevor's uh, script, there mm. were echoes of that and, yeah. and what he had idea. Like he was obviously probably the one of the only, you know, planned three directors who had any intention of following George's script. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, anyway, if I think of it, I'll link to that in the show notes. Cause if you haven't heard about this and read about some of what George Lucas had in mind, uh, you got to check it out because it, it was, it was really, I thought it was really cool. Um, you know, what was, what was in mind? Um, I, Maybe someday we'll get my hands on those Star Wars archives book, but uh, books, but they they are not cheap. Like these are like two hundred dollar no, books. No. Uh, and unfortunately, nobody's bothered to scan any of them either. Yeah, yeah, which is usually why I get these books. Uh, so I don't know if anyone wants to be kind out there, <laughs> get in touch with me, <laughs> and I'll make it happen. And I've I've made it happen many times. Um, but anyway, so let's see where where were we in this. Uh, <laughs> I know we were talking about we're in the Mandalorian and oh, we're just talking about midichlorians and everything. And that that Filoni would be backdooring in a lot of George Lucas's ideas. Uh, Yeah, I think that'd be that'd be fantastic Uh, if he does do that. I have no no issue with that at all. Um, He's certainly been backdooring a ton of expanded, you know, old EU. uh, So why not bring in some of George's ideas? But he's also been forging his own path because we know that George Lucas was very much in the Ahsoka dies camp. And she's mm-hmm. still around. So yeah. I think it's, I think it's kind of cool that, you know, George is still showing up to the set and that, you know, that Rosario Dawson felt, you know, like the, she got that kind of appreciation for the character from both Dave and George. It kind of sounds like maybe George is coming around mm-hmm. to, you know, what Dave has in mind for the future of the franchise. Oh, I can imagine George Lucas saw Rise of Skywalker and just, you know, picked up the phone and, and, and called Dave and said, Dave, you were right. Uh, Ahsoka's everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so full steam ahead. I'm including Ahsoka in more Star Wars. Right, <laughs> right. Don't waste time. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I could really see her as the character that that fixes a lot of the wounds um in the you know shall we say in the post return of the jedi uh uh canon um for star wars uh yeah well i mean she definitely is sort of like the the essential bridge character mm-hmm. you know between everything you know yeah the, the 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 prequels the original trilogy and 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 you know if you if you want to count you know 
a blip of her voice in in the last sequel film. Mm. She's there too. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Filoni made sure to say that doesn't necessarily mean that she was dead. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I am wait, I am now salivating for the moment because it was pulled off so well in live action. You know, Ahsoka was, I am pulling for the moment when her and Luke Skywalker meet. And I think it's going to be a, a moment on the level of, uh, I know we've brought up next generation a few times in the show, uh, unification when Spock mind melds with Picard because yes. Picard was like, was the bridge to Spock's dad that Spock right. never really got to, you know, really experience Sarah in the way that he, in the intimate way that Vulcans normally do. Um, and to have that moment where Luke, you know, because I mean, you're already setting up this telepathy with Grogu and, and Ahsoka, you know, to have that kind of, tele- that kind of telepathy where Luke could experience his father when he was the hero um, through Ahsoka, I, I, I think is it could could be one of the most. I mean, talk about tear jerkers could be one of the most tear jerking moments in, in Star Wars well, history. Yeah, I was just going to say it, it can go the other way around too, because I mean, for the, there's no way Ahsoka could know that uh, Anakin Skywalker came <sighs> back in the end. Yeah, yeah. For so her that to knowledge find alone, out that he redeemed yeah. himself. Yes, right, right. Yes, I'm, I'm I'm pumping my fist here, folks. <laughs> that has to happen. <laughs> that, that that's great storytelling that Filoni only Filoni could pull off, uh, and that you could only pull off if you had a character like yeah. uh, Ahsoka still around. That's that's brilliant. Damn. All right, we're we're writing and, and, this. And 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 I know that 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 Mark Hamill has already said he'll never reprise the character again. But I think if anybody could get get him to do it, it would be Filoni. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that's true. Because George would probably then he would pick up the phone again and say, Mark, no, Filoni's right. I, I, it's OK. <laughs> yeah, this, this is the Luke Skywalker, you know, you remember. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, it'd be pretty awesome. That that that, that would be that, that'd be amazing. Well, uh, anyway, <laughs> circling back to to the Mandalorian as we know it. Um I'm trying to think of any other like really major reveals. Uh, I mean, you know, Gina Serrano's back, uh, of course, as Cara Dune. Um, I think she's doing fine. You know, yeah. like uh, her, her and, uh, um, you know, Carl Weathers. I mean, they, they, they're delivering their characters as expected. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not so big on her, like being a, a sheriff as it were for the new Republic, uh, or like, I a, don't think uh, she is either. Okay. Yeah. Well, it it did lead for a very funny moment where like laugh out loud when, you know, like Din is asking for, Hey, I need you to look up this guy because I got to go spring this guy out. And she's like, ah, you know, even I have rules. And he's like, they got the kid. And she just looks at him. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, she just instantly said, it's like, yeah, I'll have it in a second. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean like her eyes are saying nobody fucks with the kid. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, that, that was, that was well done. Um, yeah, this, it's been, all right, let me, let me ask this. And I've heard that people said that this was a joke, but then I've seen very real stories where people are taking this very seriously about, uh, about Grogu eating the, uh, the frog eggs. Uh, yeah, I heard offended by this. No, I heard the hoopla about it before I even saw the episode. Cause I just, uh-huh. I've been so busy lately. 
And then when I saw the sting, I'm like, this is what everybody's getting their panties in a wad about. But then again, as we've seen, you know, uh, people get their panties in a wad about just about anything these days. And I am mm-hmm. glad that uh, uh, Gina and, and Rosario, like, still have jobs in the Star Wars universe. You know, I'm, I'm glad that Disney has learned its lesson from its mistakes with James Gunn. Oh, yeah. And not just, like, immediately fire anybody and everybody anytime there's the barest hint like fucking knock it off yeah yeah no i i agree with that completely they've got to let these people be people um because i mean and and you'd think from a business perspective because all they care about is making money i mean i mean there's there's no there's no way disney gives a shit about ethics otherwise they'd be lacing it you know throughout all their stuff and they really i mean i think they put some ideology out there but it's always tame um, yeah, we'll talk about Disney ethics in a little bit here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, you get it, it's your opportunity to bring in so many different audiences because you have people coming from different, shall we say, ideological strata that like this person or this person or this person or whatever. I mean, I just, you know, let let these people be people. Um, and anyway, there's a bigger conversation, certainly, that we could have around that. Uh yeah, you know, and, and it brought up for me the supposed drama around Pedro Pascal. Um, but I don't know if we need to dive into that. What do you got? I, I, I think this is just just the way things are now. Anytime something is popular, uh, people are going to go looking for sensationalism mm-hmm. and the, the people that are involved with it. You know, they're just. Yeah, it's 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 disgusting and it's it's gross and and. And unfortunately, I just don't see it going away just because of the 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 culture that Hollywood has. And I, I honestly believe it's not just the media or even people on Twitter. Um, I I I suspect that uh, Hollywood feels like it's losing control of its talent, and this yeah. is a way to keep it in check. Because if you look at people like Dave Chappelle, who yeah. are very much you know, finally getting, you know, their due and, and airing these grievances that they've had with, with the ugliness in, in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, I can definitely see how these studios are feeling like they're losing control. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh man, the Twitter mob, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's all you need to say because it's, can't we just enjoy the damn show? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, the thing is, is we can. We can just, yes. you know, we can really ignore that. And and as long as, you know, uh, uh, we can rely on Disney to keep caring about money, then, mm-hmm. you know, there's only a certain amount of, of, of mind that we have to pay this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. No, you're totally right. You're totally right. Um, well, anyway, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more that we'll talk about the Mandalorian, uh, you know, as we go forward to TIE Fighter Renegades as, and as the season wraps up. Do we know the length of the season? Is it going to be I'm another sure. like nine yeah, episodes? Eight. Eight? Yeah. Okay. Or eight. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. So so we're almost there. So we're, we're right. going to be doing like a season review probably next time we get together, Rob. Exactly. Um, so I'm sure, you know, anything we didn't get in here, we can get in then. But bottom line being is that this is and I, I hate to sound so cliche but really this is star wars like th- th- this is exactly 
what it should have been the instant that there was going to be, you know, more celluloid printed, uh, you know, in, in relation to star Wars. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't be happier with it, you know, and it, and it really does actually kind of, well, actually, let me bring this in quick. You know, if they're going to, I mean, cause I feel like in the episode that, that Carl Weathers directed, it was like three episodes ago where they, mm-hmm. they storm that, that Imperial, uh, uh, base or blockade mm-hmm. uh when you see the and it's the same time when they talk about the m count when you see the clones and they look very much like snoke um i was you know like there's a part of me that was like okay you know what if you're gonna take the time to actually flesh out the fucking backstory of all the crap that we saw in the sequel trilogy you Filoni, might be able to actually save that, you know, that heaping trash. Isn't that uh, what I said we, you know, yeah. months ago where I was like, we just kind of like star Wars needs to self-actualize, take the good with the bad and just move on. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I was, I was amazed at the positive reaction I had to that, you know, like, like to seeing, it's like, Oh, that's not, Oh, good. You know, as yeah, where yeah. normally I should have been like, Oh no, don't attach it to the sequel trilogy. But like, I just have that, uh, for lack of a better term, I have that faith in Dave Filoni that he could make it happen right. And that if we did, cause, cause that's been my biggest, one of my biggest problems with the sequel trilogy, despite any way that it's presented is that there's just no backstory whatsoever. You have nothing to attach yourself to really. Um, I mean, I, I think at the end of that episode or is the episode after with Moff Gideon, I'm like, Hey, you know, if they want to start bringing in some Sith eternal, I'm okay with, with that. Like, let's, 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 let's do it. Uh, so I'm loving it. Bottom line. I, I'm really loving what, uh, what the, what the Mandalorian's delivering here. Uh, and it, it is literally saving star Wars. Yeah. I mean, if they, if they start laying down the foundations of what ends up becoming the first order, cause we still don't have really a cogent explanation of how that came to be and what it is and right. and all this stuff. You know, it was just the, all, all we're given is sort of some throwaway line about, you know, Palpatine pulling his strings and, you know, you have a first order, but yeah. we don't really have anything beyond that. And it's still kind of a, a nonsensical thing. Like why would they, you know, start a whole new empire? Yeah. 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 Agreed. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like they are trying to bring in some more of that backstory actually. So like in, we mentioned the Vader comic earlier. Uh, I know we're not going to get to reviewing any comics in this episode, but they, they've brought up, you know, the dagger from rise of Skywalker that everybody's just like, you know, where the fuck did that come from? How did mm-hmm. he have that? Uh, I mean, like Vader meets up with that assassin who, you know, who dies on that, uh, Oh, no, I can't even think of the world. It doesn't matter. Uh, but the planet where, you know, all the hippies are doing their thing, having right. their big festival, uh, right. you know, like, like you're getting backstory for that character. And so again, it's more of that. Okay. Yes. Give us the backstory, flesh out the shit that happened in the sequel trilogy. And then maybe we can, you know, swallow it at least a little bit or at least chew on it more. Right. Um, at least, so, and, and, and I'm not saying that they need to spend a lot of time, you know, filling mm-hmm. in these gaps, but just enough that we can move forward and get, past that yes yes totally agreed totally agreed so uh i assume you're you're looking very hopeful towards uh the 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 future of the mandalorian you, oh you absolutely see yeah, I'm, yeah i'm i'm even looking forward to the uh the casting andor show wow that, okay because that that's still supposed to be a thing 
yeah. as far as we know, like they like it's been filmed. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, that's one of those things. I mean, I, I know it's out there, but that's one of those things where I'm like, eh, but um, yeah, as long as Disney's, you know, ha- has some kind of plan. Right. Finally. Right. I yeah, mean, like, it. you know, like, Hey, it's going to be, you know, more, it's going to be based off of what I think is probably the best show, the best movie yes. that Disney's done yet. So, I mean, yeah, here again, you know, like, the maybe they're figuring out, you know, don't don't break it if it ain't broke, you know, don't try yeah. to fix it if it ain't broke. So you got right. something that works, keep doing it. Right. Yeah, agreed. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. So uh do we got anything else to the Mandalorian or do we want to move on to uh, some other subjects? Yeah, we gotta talk about Disney ethics. Disney ethics. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. We'll get we'll we will get to that. I want to get into uh, <laughs> I want to get into a, a few little reviews here. Okay. <laughs> but yes, we will talk about Disney ethics. Oh man. Uh so Rob, actually I want to kind of turn it over to you here. Uh you have been playing now. I'll admit I watched some of the game movie um of this. I do not own the game, have not played the game. Um I could get into an entire conversation around that, but I don't, you know, we don't need to do necessarily do that here. Uh, you have been, you did get the chance to play star Wars squadrons. Um, I know you, yeah, Yeah. I know we reviewed some of the trailers and like the, that, that fantastic little mini movie that they made before the release. Uh, we talked about that, all that in past episodes of tie fighter renegades, but what you've played of it. I mean, what, what do you think of, of, of star Wars squadrons? Is this really the, x-wing alliance sequel that it should be or what um well understand that uh, i i did get it uh on launch day i did not pre-order it um mm-hmm. and i have only been able to play i would say probably about you know five or six hours at the most i have not been able to play a lot because um if you haven't heard and this is the reason why we haven't done the show in a while you know i've had a lot of changes in my life recently you know, I, I moved and I got a new job and just a lot of things going on in my life. I've been extremely busy. So I haven't even had time to play games very much lately. Sure. Um, whereas I had tended to, to, to really dive into it. And what little I played, um, I will say the, the graphics are phenomenal. Just absolutely gorgeous looking game. Mm. Um, the I did use a uh, 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 a flight stick. I have a Hotas setup on oh, my okay. computer. All right, so that's serious. Um, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I do take my 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 space sim games very seriously. I, you know, I I still play some Elite Dangerous now and then too. Um, nice. But the the controls felt a little. I I. I can't exactly describe it, but it, it, I want—I don't want to say they were sluggish, but it felt weird. And did you, I, did you feel like you were flying a desk? Kinda. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I that. Yeah. So it 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 wasn't as as um. It didn't feel as responsive and and fast pace as i remember the the original x-wing games feeling right so and and i know that there's been some patches since then and other people have addressed these points i don't know if they have fixed them yet because here again i just i haven't had the time to to sit down and give give it the attention 
that it deserves. Um, do I think it's worth the 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 forty bucks ask price? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, if 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 you're you're questioning it, I'd say go ahead and and wait till it's on sale. I'm sure it will be at some yeah. point. It is nice to hear that despite them seeing that they're saying that there would be no additional content for the game, that they are adding the B wing and the Tie Defender to the game oh, here in the near that's future. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm very because that that was that was kind of a big downer for me that it was just they were going to have the four starfighters on each side and that was going to be it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the big draws of the original X King game is that you just like, especially with like, they had simulators within the game itself. Yeah. Like you would fly these missions and then you would also have simulators to do training and you could pretty much fly any ship that was in the game. Yeah. that was that was one of my favorite things about X-wing Alliance and X-wing versus Tiger. If I was to compare this to any of the games previously, I would say it most reminded me of uh, X-wing versus Tie Fighter, the Balance of Power uh, expansion pack, where they kind of, you know, there was there was the X-wing versus Tie Fighter was largely a multiplayer game focus, yes, but it had that add-on that added, you know, uh, a single-player story to it. And mm-hmm. I'd say it's along those lines. You know, I wasn't, the, there is a story. It's kind of, it's a ho-hum story of what I've, I've experienced so far. It kind of reminded me of, 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 you know, the single player elements in Battlefront 2, which were nothing to write home about. Yeah. Um, but it's not, everything's like a conversion, right? Like, a, yeah. it's just, it's always some Imperial going over to the rebels. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's nowhere near as good as the story we got with, with Jedi Fallen Order, but it's mm-hmm. not terrible either. So, you know, I, but here again, I haven't played through the whole campaign yet, so I can't say if it's utter shit or not. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, something to bring up quick. I mean, this is more abstract about video games today is that really, you know, there's, there's an opening review, but most video games that have come out in the past, like 10 years need to be reviewed again, two years later or a year later, because it can be with, with patches and everything else. It could be a totally different game. Now that wasn't always true. It used to be what you got on the cartridge was the end of the story. Um, but now, no, I think you need to come back. Like a game that sucks at launch could be amazing two years down the road. Yeah. Just look Uh, at no man's sky. Right. Yeah. Which finally lives up to some of its promise. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, I mean, so we, we can talk about it again, you know, in, in, in the future when you have had the chance to, to play it more, but at the very least we, it seems like we know it's not a, you know, it's not a steaming pile of shit, you know, it's not yeah, a bunch of yeah. ass pickles I, coming out. Yeah. Like I said, I would say tentatively that it's a worthwhile buy. Yeah. 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 Again, I watched like some of the, like the, the, the quote unquote movie version of the game, you know, where I was watching a bit of a long play and everything. And, I, and overall, I liked what I saw. Um, I, I still to this day don't know what they did with, you know, back in the nineties with the X-Wing series with X-Wing and with TIE fighter and X-Wing Alliance and all that, how they gave you that sense of motion and speed is there's some secret sauce that they pulled off there. There really is. I mean, I, and, and I think, well, I mean, you have to, you have to give, you know, uh, Larry Holland, you know, a lot of credit for that because, you know, he had put a lot of work into flight sim games, Prior to that, with you know the secret weapons of Luftwaffe, and mm-hmm. and some of those other games that he worked on that were essentially you know World War II fighter slims. 
Yes. And so like the, and, and that makes a lot of sense because that's where George Lucas took his cues for the starfighter combat and the original trilogy was, is that he was watching, you know, actual, yeah, mm-hmm. old world war two, actual, you know, films of, of, you know, fighter combat, right. you know? And, and so who, you know, whoever's, you know, over there in, in charge of these, you know, they, they need to just st- go back to your roots. I mean, <laughs> you know, everybody else figured it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, they did. I mean, cause that's the thing, you know, I've played so many flight simulators. I mean, every wing commander, uh, I mean, just go down the damn list. Like, I mean, I've played so many, I I'm, I'm deeply passionate about flight simulators and I just don't understand. No game has ever given every game feels like I'm flying, you know, a couch or a desk or something. It just doesn't feel right. But you get me an X-Wing or TIE fighter. And there it is. It's like, ah, yeah. now that's how that's supposed to feel. That's what this is supposed to be like. And, and so, yeah, again, I just, I don't know what they did, but I'm not surprised to hear that the, you know, uh, uh, the flying feels a little off Yeah, with the yeah. game. Now, something I am curious to check out, and I, I haven't been able to because I don't have a, a VR set of any kind, mm-hmm. is that I know there's there's the game is, is VR capable. Uh-huh. So I've always been curious to try that. Like uh, That's kind of like a dream is, is, is to you know jump into the cockpit of a, a TIE Defender in a VR setup. Uh, yeah, that... That would be pretty amazing. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll admit it. Um, I I've watched some of the like again game movies for like some of the VR like uh um with Vader Immortal, mm-hmm. uh, and there's that other one that came out that I think has to do with Batu or that has to do with Galaxy's Edge or whatever. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. It's just like Tales from the Galaxy's Edge or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, those are experiences that. I mean, they look great, but also I feel like, okay, I didn't really miss anything and just watching the movie was enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having a VR experience in the cockpit of a starfighter would is, is a very, very different animal. Yeah. Uh, from what and I like think I said, they're, they're already halfway there with like, like I said, visually the game looks great. Mm-hmm. So if they could just get it to feel like flying a starfighter, like they're already halfway there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. So folks check it out. Uh, it, it might be worth a buy if you're on the fence, you know, you can, uh, you're not going to end up like Humpty Dumpty anyway. So that, that's, <laughs> that, that works for us. Um, let's, let's switch it up, but we'll, we'll keep the gears on you here, Rob. Uh, and this is something I think that, I don't know, maybe we were, no, no, we, we, this is when we were talking off air. But um, I reviewed this last time we had convened, uh, and that was the latest uh, Thrawn novel, uh, Thrawn Ascendancy. And this one in particular is Chaos Rising because there's actually a sequel uh, book that comes out in 2021. Um, but you got the chance to read this. Now, I was very favorable. I thought it was a fantastic read, one of the best Star Wars books done in some time. Yeah. Um, give me your take on, on Thrawn Ascendancy. I got to be honest with you, like when you did your initial review is when mm-hmm. I was kind of like in the deep throes of Star Wars fatigue. Yeah. Um, but as it turned out, you know, like uh, uh, during the, the last couple of months on the job that I had where I still had a, a, a long commute, I decided, you know, what the hell? I'll, I'll give it a try since you gave it such a, a favorable review. 
And I was shocked how much I enjoyed this book. It is, it is phenomenal. I would say it is without a doubt the best Thrawn book of the new Canon Thrawn books. It's, it's the best Thrawn book that we've had since the original, you know, uh, uh, heir to the empire trilogy. That yeah, now that is high praise. I'm not going to argue it too much either. Um, I mean, I still love the first the the first Thrawn book of the new canon, but uh, but I mean, this is definitely. I mean, it well, it's awesome. I mean, the 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 great thing here again, this is like you know, like we're we're, we're beating our drum again here about this, but the connective tissue with mm-hmm. the previous books, yes, really lent a lot to this, and the fact that you have all this context and it does pay off that you read those previous books. And they're, they're like they're literally like replaying, you know, the some the same scenes from previous books. Right. As flashbacks. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And you're seeing it from a different point of view and you have new context and new understanding of what was going on with Thrawn during that time. And mm-hmm. you're not just getting Anakin's perspective. And that was really cool. Yeah, wasn't it interesting about like how how they called their you know their their the the chiss how they called their like telepathic uh, uh, people called them Skywalkers? Right, I mean, that, right. That was really. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what they have in mind for that. Like, what the point is to to doing so? Right, because I remember then in in um, the previous book that they kind of alluded to that Thrawn was surprised at his name, but they mm-hmm. never told you why. Right and now you right. get the explanation of that. And yeah, it's, it, it is very kind of, you know, a little eerie, but yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, do you think that they, that they fleshed out? Um, I mean, cause you know, the Chiss ascendancy has been a mystery in many ways, uh, for a long time. I mean, even in the old EU, we didn't really know a whole ton about it. Um, but do you feel that this book like fleshed out? I mean, I, I felt it was very, it was alien enough. Like it was, it wasn't that you were dealing with a bunch of humans. Um, I mean, what did you think about how Timothy Zahn did flesh out the Chiss I, ascendancy? I, I loved it. In fact, yeah. I, I, you know, as much as you're kind of like rooting for the characters, I can't help like really respect the Chiss culture in this book. And it does seem so alien because they're so very non-interventionalist. Yeah, this is so far apart from any society these days. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> anything we especially, really know as far as humans. Yeah, especially you know Western quote unquote culture. Right, right. Yeah, well said. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think he did a just a a fantastic job uh, of, and I know I had said this when I reviewed it as well, but I mean, I really think he did a great job of creating an entire other civilization. Um, you know, within that book that, you know, I think as far as being explored, um, I mean, it, it, it almost got as much depth as dare I say the Mandalorians have, have gotten as late. Uh, and, and I was really pleased with that, including even like, I I love the idea that they, they have what sounds more or less like a smartphone or tablet, but they, they call it a Questus. Right. And, you know, to have that be like to, to be able to explore that as a, as such a central part of a civilization in science fiction or fantasy, uh, I thought that was actually very very interesting. Uh, even though in the real world, I'm not the biggest fan of these things. 
um, in the Chiss ascendancy. And because you don't have them in the star, you know, in, in the other cultures we know within star Wars, uh, it is pretty fascinating. And, and I think they could do some really interesting stuff with that. I got to tell you too, like, and, and I'm sorry, spoilers folks. I mean, you know, us, we, we, we talk about everything uh, on this show. So if you haven't read or listened to the book yet, I'm sorry, but like one of the things that shocked me and I ended up loving so much about this book is, is that, um, just the, the telling of Thrawn's history and sort of his inner world. And he almost leads you into thinking that Thrawn at one time might've been capable of empathy. Uh But then by the end of the book, you're like, Oh no, it's (laughs) Thrawn. It's always been Thrawn. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, you get some, some real interesting, like kind of chosen one sort of vibes also mm-hmm. with yeah. within that, which I, I like. Yeah. Brilliant work. I mean, and I'm glad you saw, I'm glad you saw the same, uh, because I mean, I really, you know, I, I, I'm kind of reticent to recommend a lot of star Wars books to people, but I feel like the Thrawn books have been generally have been the standouts as far as that goes. Uh, and I'm, I'm yeah. glad you saw it the same. And, and to be honest with you, if you wanted to, you could start with this book very easily. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Because it does take place, uh, you know, before the original trilogy, right. Um, you know, and it is like smack in the middle of the prequel trilogy. So if you're just jumping on Star Wars, you're like, well, I'm going to start with episode one. If you want to start on the books, this is a very, very, uh, you know, as far as timeline goes, very early. And I, I think a great jumping on point. I agree with you. That's a good, good recommendation. So I think we're, we're, we're basically we have the conclusion that Dave Filoni should run everything that needs a camera <laughs> and Timothy Zahn should just write all the books. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars well, will be great again. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, we say that jokingly, but at the same time, you know, like I don't want like a monoculture in Star Wars either. But yeah, for now, that that's probably not a bad plan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll we'll let um uh oh, that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> we'll let Fallen Stars. We'll we'll let uh um we'll let her. It was a Fallen Stars. Lost Body Stars. Gray. Claudia Gray. We'll let yeah, not Fallen yeah, Stars. Yeah, Lost yeah. Stars. We'll let Claudia Gray write, you know, write some books too. And (laughs) (laughs) oh man. Anyway, yeah. So so good stuff. And I'm glad to hear that we are going to get a sequel in pretty short order. Um, I mean, that book was delayed. It was originally supposed to come out months before uh, it finally did in September of 2020. Um, But the next book, I think, will be out on time. I I, hell, I think it's like in April even that is the release date for it. Um, I know you can already pre-order it anyway. Um, something we'll probably talk about in January. I mean, are, Rob, are you planning on picking up the High Republic uh, books? You know, I was just thinking about that. Um, I'm I'm still kind of on the fence about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what happens when January rolls around, and you know how much time I have on my hands. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll admittedly I'll probably be day one. Uh, I'm kind of intrigued to see what the hell they have in mind. Right. Uh, and, you know, uh, so if anything, I'll, I'll come in with a review, but, uh, and maybe I can convince Rob if they're worthwhile, you know, to, to check those out, but maybe they won't be. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I am curious. I mean, I'm not being, uh, uh, bearish on it or anything, but you mm-hmm. know, I, uh, it just, it's just a matter of how much time I have to consume yeah. this content these days. Yeah, no, I totally understand. Totally understand. 
Um, I mean, frankly, if I didn't have this stuff playing at like three X, I, I couldn't get it in either. So yeah, like I mean, the, the the reason I was able to listen to these books in the past because is I had like an hour long commute, mm-hmm. and now I live like you know ten minutes away from work, and so nice. it's not a problem anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think you I think you got the better deal now, don't yeah, worry. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I do too. I'm I'm, I'm pretty happy with the deal I got. <laughs> right on. Uh well, you know, a book that I guess and and not, I want to get in a little review here. Uh a book that I'm probably not going to recommend people check out is uh we did get another you know to celebrate the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back, of course, which came out in 1980. Uh, we did get another, what they're now, basically it's a series now, which is a certain point of view. And it is a, uh, a short story collection, um, an anthology, uh, that, and I'm, I'm going to guess that maybe in a couple of years we'll get one for return of the Jedi, uh, which I don't know, might be interesting. Um, but this one is particular about the empire strikes back. Now you read the one for a new hope, right, Rob? Uh, I didn't read all the stories. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I read some of them and I, I read one of the more atrocious ones by what the fuck his face is. I can't even remember his name now. <laughs> mm. There there was plenty. I, I actually, I can. I the, can the guy who posted his asshole on Twitter. Wait, uh, that Disney fired. Shit. Yeah. I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the guy who did the aftermath trilogy. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 It's terrible. We can't remember any of these names, uh, <laughs> but no, that's fine. No, that's uh, actually a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> aftermath. Memory. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Chuck Wendig. There yes, it is. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, never forget an asshole. Um, so, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, I read the entirety of the, uh, certain point of view for a new hope. Um, I was not a fan of that book. I thought that book was incredibly, it, it, it was confusing. Um, and Disney has a real problem of wanting their cake and, and eating it too, in that they like to do stories. They like to sell Star Wars books that might be canon, but then might not be. That way nobody gets trapped, but it can include all these big characters. And I feel like that that first, that A New Hope certain point of view book was a victim of that. But I mean, there was just weird shit in that. Like well, I mean, Aunt Beru was a force ghost. I'm like, wait, wait what? Go ahead. They're, they're, they're telling you that's what it is in the very title. I mean, yes. <sighs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, the empire strikes back one wasn't so much that. Yeah. Okay. But it, it fails on a lot of other levels and a lot of common levels that Disney has been failing on with their star Wars tenure. Uh, one of the biggest problems here is that I feel like 80% of the stories are about some Imperial converting to the rebellion or like becoming like empathetic towards the rebellion. Yeah. And, and then with that in mind, it spends all of this time uh, trying to explain all of these little things that happened in the empire strikes back. Um, like you find out how Boba Fett was able to hide his ship behind the star destroyer with the, you know, before it got sent out with the trash, uh, you find out about who was controlling the, uh, you know, the, the probe droid, uh, on, on Hoth. Uh, I mean like all of these little stories that you get, but again, most of them are where, you know, you don't get the, like, let the bad guys be the fucking bad guys. Right. I you was know, just going to say that. 
And the only there's one there's one story in it that I actually I thought was really, really good. Uh, and it was um, it's a story. It's all about General Veers, who is, you know, diehard Imperial through and through. And he stays Imperial through and through, you know, thanks Satan. I mean, and uh, Sam Witwer reads it and Sam Witwer does it. The audiobook was, I mean, you know, the performances were top notch. I'm not going to complain about that. And Sam Witwer's, you know, it's Sam Witwer. What are we going to say? Uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, and him as, as General Veers was, was fantastic. Um, that story was good. But that's it. It felt very like 80, 20, like 20% of, and there's a, there are, there's probably like 40 stories in this thing. Maybe 20% of them were, were worthwhile. One of them was, was I maybe would call great, uh, in that being the general Veers one. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you, you get into like, there's whole stories about the Tauntauns and like what goes through their heads. Um, they're like the opening story is about the, um, the Wampa. And like, you know, he's got to feed his tribe and all this other, it's just, it's going distances that like, there's no, so here, all right, here's the thing is that, and this is a great narrative tactic and trick, and I applaud its use and star Wars has been great at it for a long time where you, you just mentioned something offhand that sounds like it's referencing something huge that happened. For example. Uh, you know, Lando Calrissian says, well, they must've heard about my maneuver at the battle of Tanab. Right. Never he, in my life. Do I need to know what the battle of Tanab was? It's right. awesome that he did something awesome. You well, know, we talked it, about this before when we right. reviewed the first season of the Mandalorian and mm -hmm. you know, the, the Ugnot character, you know, you know, is trying to train the Mandalorian now to ride these beasts is like, you know, your people tamed the mythosaur. You don't, yeah. I don't need to know what a mythosaur is, but God right. damn, that sounded cool. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's these little things or, or even in an episode three, uh, you know, revenge, revenge of the Sith where, you know, Obi-Wan says to Anakin, no, that, that business on Kate and Amodia, that, that, that doesn't count, you know, like, like the, these are, these are great. They're just one liners that enrich your universe. However, when you try to explain all of that, you, you, it stops enriching the universe because it enriches it because it gives us this grandeur and mystery when the mystery goes away. So does the grandeur. Right. And so I feel yes. like these, these kinds of books just waste our time so badly. Yeah. Uh, They're trying it, too hard to show us how the sausage is made and we don't mm -hmm. really want, want or need that. Right. I mean, and, and I, you know, I can understand the perspective of maybe where they're coming from me, myself as someone who, who, you know, grew up Jewish uh, and I know we've talked about this before that like the a lot of Star Wars books. Yeah. I feel yeah, like Midrash. Yeah. So, you know, I get it. And we've brought up this Midrash point before. Um, and you know why, like it, it, and I get the idea that, that people feel like, well, when you explain more of what happened that adds to the mythology and makes it more real, I think the reason that like Greek and Roman mythology and Egyptian mythology, why we still think about it and remember it is partly because there is so much mystery around it. You keep talking about it. And so I feel like when, when, when you just, when you, when you eliminate the mystery, which is what these books are doing, um, you, you're really hurting star Wars far more than you're helping it. Yeah. Uh, and, well, and so go ahead. There's, there's a way to go about it. And, mm -hmm. and obviously Dave Filoni's figured it out is the trick is, is that, you know, whenever you answer a mystery, you're not so much answering it, but you're deeping it. You're adding more to it. Yeah. You know, just like, just like the stuff we were talking about with the Mandalorians, you know, like, 
you think you know everything there is to know about Mandalorian culture. And then there's, oh, wait, no, there's more. Right, right. You end up with more questions. Right. And yeah, and, and I love the way you said that, deep in the mystery. Really like, like, and especially like, and, th- and this is just, you know, part of being a science fiction fan, especially if like you're a Star Trek fan, you know that the, the ultimate quest in life is the quest for more questions, not yes. just the answers. Right, right. The search for new questions, like Cisco would say. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. So yeah, they're, they're failing with this. Uh, and, and I just, I don't know what star Wars fan that this would really appeal to, uh, that somehow they would walk away from it and say, wow, that was, that was amazing. I mean, again, there's, there's some good stories. There's some okay stories. There's, uh, actually, uh, frankly, a healthy dose of, um, and, and, and I'm saying this, I said healthy dose. I'm saying this with applause. There's a healthy dose of homosexuality throughout the, throughout it. Uh, I mean, you have, uh, two gal TIE fighter pilots making out. I mean, like there's, there's all, all different kinds of, I mean, very explicit. There are par- elements of this that are very adult and I don't just necessarily, you know, mean, uh, 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 you know, any LGBTQ, you know, representation. I mean, just with like sexuality, which we rarely get outside of a Claudia Gray book. Right. Um, and so I was, I was pleased with that, but again, how do you recommend a book, you know, that's only 20% worth your time? I just, I, I can't do it. Uh, so I, I, I walk away from this collection of short stories saying, don't bother with it. It's not, you're not going to walk away with any, you know, grand new ideas or, uh, understanding of the universe. It's just, it's going to cheapen things for you more than yeah. anything. I mean, and, and, and to be entirely fair, it's not like, you know, people who have been in control of star Wars haven't done this before. Mm-hmm. I remember back in the day with dark horse comics, they had that, you know, series of comics called tales. And there yes. was one in particular they did where they turned, they, they, they made the R five droid that the Jawas were trying to sell to the Lars homestead, uh, a force sensitive droid. Yeah. It was I remember. just utterly ridiculous and stupid. And, and everybody lambasted that and rightly so. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I mean, but that Tales series was hit or miss, but they right. always made it clear that these are just possibilities, you know, like right. they're not, they're not really necessarily canon. Like, uh, actually Tales number nine was one of my favorite comic books ever, even though I know it didn't actually happen where Vader takes on Darth Maul. It, it was, I mean, heart wrenching. It was, it was awesome. Uh, but you know, I've never thought that that was canon, uh, for a second. So Right. Well, anyway, and they had the they had the uh, you know the the tag and bank characters, which are pretty much you know like the Star Wars version of you know uh, Guildenstern and Rosencrantz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Th- those were fun comics, right? But I, I mean, yeah, yeah, and I guess that came down to where Dark Horse knew how to market these things, you know, and and at the very least, make sure you knew what wasn't on the line. As to where I feel like Disney is like, oh, everything's fucking canon, you know, and. and Ah, anyway, I don't know. I, I, I was not pleased with this collection bottom line. So, uh, no recommend on that, but go pick up the Thrawn book. You're in for a treat. So, uh, well, I guess why don't we, you know, I know you've been teasing that Disney ethics conversation for, yeah. uh, for throughout this episode. And while we're talking about books, uh, you know, it's good when an author could maybe get paid for what they write, even if it's not very good, though, with, with this author, I would argue the opposite. Uh, even if it's not very good, well, you know, you put in the work, get paid. Well, apparently, Alan Dean Foster, I'm sorry, let me say that again. Alan fucking Dean Foster, because he deserves that. 
moniker because he is one of the finest writers we've had uh, throughout the later part of the 20th century and early part of the 21st. Uh, he has not been getting paid by Disney. Um, and the link in the show notes I have is from The Verge, uh, and it's Star Wars novelist says Disney won't pay him royalties. It owes him. Um, now, I mean, I don't know if you want to jump on this, Rob, but bottom line being is that so Alan Dean Foster, for those that don't know, I mean, has been involved in Star Wars for a very long time. Uh, in fact, if you he ghost wrote the novelization of A New Hope back in 1976, before the first movie even came out, right. uh, he also wrote the first sequel, basically the first new story for Star Wars, that being Splinter of the Mind's Eye, way, way back before Empire Strikes Back even came out. Um, and rightfully so he was asked to come in and do the novelization for the force awakens because Disney was trying to say, Hey, we're back to our original trilogy or back to the original trilogy roots. And I thought I applaud the move. I think that was, that, that was well done. And I read that book and I thought it was a good novelization. Uh, Alan Dean Foster, of course, has written many other things, his own series, Pip and Flinks. I mean, you can go down the list of them. This guy has been writing, especially movie novelizations, but his own stuff. This guy has been writing on the matter of decades and is, uh, I don't know, you know, if there's a top 100 of science fiction authors, I think he would certainly sit in that, in that number uh, very easily. He is, he's just fantastic at what he does. Um, I guess he had to go to the SFWA, which is the Science Fiction Writers of America. Uh, the writers guild there and said, Hey, you know, Disney's not, uh, not, not paying me for the novelizations that I've done for them. He's not getting those royalties. And so the SFWA made a bit of a stink, um, about the matter. Uh, yeah, I guess. Both did. Yeah. And Alan Dean and, Foster did as well. And, he put, go ahead. And just to understand folks, like this kind of thing doesn't happen in the publishing world. Cause if he, like this is this is the absolute last resort. You have no other choice because uh, were any other author to do this, they they would not be a published author anymore. Yes, right. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, I'll read a, just a, a quick couple paragraphs from this story. Um, Alan Dean Foster, author of several Star Wars novelizations, says Disney hasn't paid him his royalties. According to Foster, Disney has also asked him to sign a non-disclosure agreement before the company will speak with him. Uh, quote, you continue to ignore my requests uh, or ignore requests from my agents. Uh, Foster wrote, you continue to ignore queries from the SFWA. Uh, you continue to ignore my legal representatives. I know that I know this is what or gargantuan corporations often do. Ignore requests and inquiries, hoping the petitioner will simply go away or possibly die. But I'm still here and I'm still entitled to what you owe me. End quote. Uh, they go down, they give a list of what he wrote uh, within the story. And Disney says that it engaged with Foster and his agent for more than a year over the alien books and that this is the first they've heard about the Star Wars novelizations as a point of contention. According to Disney, their last correspondence was in March asking for a meeting, and the company did not hear back. Uh, Disney says that the company did not ask for a formal NDA, but rather sent an emailed request for confidentiality around the discussions. Uh, according to SFWA President Mary Robinette Kowal, Disney is arguing that when it, it bought uh, Lucasfilm and 20th Century Fox, they bought contract rights, but not the legal obligation to pay Foster for his work, 
quote, if we let this stand, it could not, it could set precedent to fundamentally alter the way copyright and contracts operate in the United States. All a publisher would have to do to break a contract would be to sell it to a sibling company, end quote. Disney declined to comment on the characterization of their stance. Yeah. Uh, so that's basically what they're saying is going on is that when Disney bought out uh, 20th Century Fox entirely, I mean, it's one thing when they bought out Star Wars from underneath or, you know, for, not from underneath, but from George Lucas. But then when they bought 20th Century Fox, uh, that included the Alien books. And I guess there was contention there because, like I said, Alan Dean Foster has done a lot of movie tie ins, very successful ones at that. Um. And, and they just haven't been paying the royalties. And their claim is, is that, well, we just bought the franchise and all of the content of the franchise, but we did not buy any of the legal, legally liable, for lack of a better term, debt right. uh, that is owed by the previous franchise holder. Right. In fact, that's the quote I heard is, is that they bought the rights and none of the liabilities, right. which is utterly ridiculous. Sure. And understand... I mean, that, that Brian and I are not, you know, upholding uh, contracts and IP law or any of this as as some kind of moral right or good. Um, but yeah, it, the 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 creator is entitled to, you know, the fruits of his labor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, again, Rob and I, I think we would both uh, happily say that intellectual property is bullshit. Um, but within the the framework that we live in and that Alan Dean Foster has agreed to live within, um, no, pay the man. Yeah. <laughs> like he's, he's done some good work for you. Uh, and, and he's crucial to, I mean, I, I don't want to go down this road, but I mean, I'll just say it quick. Cause I know I've said it in past star Wars reviews that I've done over the years on sovereign tech. I've theorized at points that I think Alan Dean Foster fucking came up with star Wars and George Lucas just yeah. kind of, well, we've you know, discussed he, that before and, yeah. and, you know, I'm, I'm willing to entertain that idea. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not hundred percent on board, right, but I'm willing right. to entertain the idea that it's possible. Yeah. I mean, can think of it like how Bill Gates bought DOS, you know, right. <laughs> and, and then and, turned it into his empire. And, and there was a point at one point of time where splinter of the mind's eye was going to be the, the working storyline for the star Wars sequel. Right. Uh, before, you know, Empire Strike Backs got written. And so, you know, there, that at one time that was going to be basically, you know, the plan for the continuation of the Star Wars franchise in film. Yeah. I mean, Alan Dean Foster is that good. He's that brilliant of a writer. Uh, I mean, just tremendous, tremendous work. Um, Disney pulling the I mean, it's 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 almost mind boggling to. To consider like th- this should be chump change. To Disney, quite frankly, um, you know, to be able to pay whatever these royalties are, because I, I can't imagine at the same time, I cannot imagine that these books are flying off of the shelves, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think all of us can understand at some point in our life where, you know, even a $1,500 check could change our lives. And right. for Alan Dean Foster, maybe, you know, that, that could be a case here. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, he and his I, wife are uh, in a bad way right now. Uh, yeah, medically or, you know, health wise. Yeah. Yeah. Health-wise, yeah. yeah uh, uh, this is, I just, I, I think it's unbelievable that like, why would, why would Disney do anything other than, okay, we're sorry here, have a check, you know, or have some stock or something like uh, it, it, it just, it doesn't, 
There's no good look for this. No, there's, there is no good look for it. At the same time, it, it does hint to something that we've talked about in the past. And there's this idea. And I think it, it like the, especially the NDA, like mm-hmm. trying, trying to put down an NDA on, uh, an author before you even begin discussions of talking about what is owed them. Hence that, well, does Disney really own these franchises Mm. or are they just licensed in some way? Mm. So, Oh, I see. So you're worried that, or you're thinking that maybe there is Disney is in not, they're not in legal hot water, but like they would have to reveal Right. Uh, some, some legal eccentricities, we'll put it that way, uh, that they don't want the world to know. Exactly. If if they, yeah. If they don't do an NDA, Yep. that is very interesting that, I mean, that I could see that because again, now, I mean, to be all right, no, no, Disney is the devil and and I use devil (laughs) in the pejorative. (laughs) So I, I really don't mean to give any sympathy for the devil. But it has to be is when you're talking about franchises like Star Wars and even Alien, the amount of names that have been involved in creative work for these franchises over the years. I mean, just think of all the comic books for Alien that were done through Dark Horse and so on, Um, taking on decades of of legal contracts, of, of contracts around hiring these people for creative works like an Alan Dean Foster, or even, you know, pick out some other names, a Tom Beach or whoever that has to be a pain in the ass to, to somehow implement that into your new payroll, right? When you're a monstrosity like Disney, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not, I'm not sympathizing with them, but I can actually imagine that a lot of shit can get lost in the shuffle. Uh, and that, and that, that really can be a genuine challenge. But again, that's why I'm saying Disney just cut him a check, you know, give him a million dollars and say, you know, okay, does does this make us even? I'm sure he'd say yes. Right. Uh, Now the SFW, go ahead. Like I said, but the, 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 the the point of contention here that I put forward is is if if that's the case, then why the NDA? Because the NDA says we're aware of their problem. It's not that your check got lost in the mail or, or we're not aware that, you know, you think we owe you money or mm-hmm. that we even have these obligations. That's, that's that excuse has gone out the window. Yeah. Once yeah. Disney comes back and says, we hear you sign an NDA to begin to talking about, you know, whether or not we actually owe you money. Right. Right. The, the, so if, there, if, there is no sympathy for the devil in this case. Yeah, no, no. If Disney's all on the up and up here, there should have been. And I mean, they're claiming that there was no need for an NDA, but they still ask for some kind of, uh, 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 confidentiality via email there. Uh, I mean, I'll say this, like the only person in this whole thing that I'm rooting for is Alan Dean Foster, the SFWA. I don't mind saying it. They, they can go shit themselves too. Like, I mean, I'm glad, I guess that they're going to bat for Alan Dean Foster, but I have some knowledge. In fact, some more, what could be called insider knowledge of the SFWA and this is a incredibly mismanaged organization and an incredibly disrespectful organization overall, or at least it has been in the past. Hey, maybe in the past 10 years, something's changed. Um, just like any other organization that claims to be looking out for the rights of others, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, 
I could I could same say the same thing about every union I've ever been subjected to, you know, having sure. to deal with. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that they got all excited that they get to take Disney to court, you know, and right, exactly. they get to play yeah. a little guy. Uh, Whereas and, Alan Dean Foster is probably from the position, well, you know, this is the devil I know, and they have yeah. more resources than I do as an individual. So rather deal with them than to, you know, hire lawyers on my own and and basically, you know, go up against Goliath with just, you know, less than David. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, again, I don't want to like, I, I'm not going to root for the SFWA here. Uh, an old friend of mine would, would probably give me a good smack if I did. Uh, so <laughs> that being Harlan Ellison, I figured but, uh, that's who you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he would not let me live that down. Uh, so I'm not going to go there. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I do want to see Alan Dean Foster get paid. I do think this this needs to get brought, you know, attention needs to get paid to this. Um, I hope it's not already forgotten. Um, I'm happy to showcase it, even though this, I don't know, this is a couple of weeks ago, I think, that this really kind of picked up. Um, or maybe three weeks ago, something like that. Uh, I'll keep mentioning it until we hear that Alan Dean Foster finally got paid. Uh, I, it's just, yeah, yeah, I mean, this does speak to a very real problem in that, basically if you can just buy out a franchise and you don't have to, you know, send out any checks to, you know, anyone involved with making that franchise worthwhile to fucking buy in the first place. Um, that that's a fucked up system that, yeah. that I, I would never want to get involved with. Uh, of course, you know, as we're living in the age of where all these corporations are eating one another, yeah. you know, left or right and, and slowly condensing into fewer and fewer hands. I'm sure they would all love this to be the case. And we know how much Disney loves to essentially set precedent when it comes to legal matters and especially IP. You know, they failed in their attempt to retain their their dominion over <laughs> Mickey Mouse. Yeah. You know, by continually pushing back how long, you know, they're able to to uh, uh, enforce their copyrights on their original characters. Uh, right. And so they lost that bid. And so now they're, they're going about a different means as well. You know, uh, if, if people can, you know, if our stuff is going to go into public domain, then we're not going to pay anybody for anything. Yeah. We can't, we can't make money off of RP. I are that, that we clearly originated then. Well, then we don't have to pay anybody else either. Yeah, I mean, this is a, you know, and, and I, from, from the, you know, mega corporations, uh, uh, perspective, I mean, again, I could see where this is a real challenge, not just in paperwork, but like, if you have to, I mean, cause they've been re-releasing a lot of EU stuff as legends, you yes. know, uh, are, are they, are they cutting a check to, to all those writers, um, you know, that were, I mean, cause there's a, in the EU, there's a lot of star Wars content that you well, got to pay people for. Yeah, there's. There's been um, some interesting, for once, there have been some interesting comments on Twitter around this. Uh, you know, people, different authors kind of speaking up about mm. this particular case. And one in particular that I took note of was uh, J.W. Rensler, who uh -huh. wrote the Making of Star Wars books. Tremendous. Uh, came out in support and said, I have interest in this as well. 
Wow. Almost well, he, sounding like maybe he's not getting paid either. Which is doubly interesting because he, J.W. Rensler, didn't just write the making of Star Wars books. He also wrote Making of Alien. So he right. is dealing in the same exact franchises that Alan Dean Foster is exactly. complaining about. Yep. And that, that and, makes kind of like what you're, you're go ahead. And, and, and J.W. Rinser was at one point a Lucasfilm employee and he departed the company after the Disney purchase. Oof. And it was not a pleasant departure from what I understand. Uh, that you see now, now it does make you wonder, like, be, especially considering that those two particularly, and that they were both involved in the same franchises. That's, I, I wonder about that now that, that does mm-hmm. raise a lot of questions about this. I mean, to be clear, obviously Disney's not the only company that does this. Uh, in fact, like, uh, it was like an offhand comment in a podcast, uh, that I was listening to where they were reviewing Star Trek discovery. And they had Melinda Snodgrass on. Now, Melinda Snodgrass, huge deal in Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, and she also wrote uh, Measure of a Man, which is considered one of the best Star Trek episodes of all time, where, you know, Data's on trial for his life. And she created the character of, uh, what is it, Bruce um, Bruce Maddox. Yes. And who is the kind of the, the quote-unquote villain of, of Measure of a Man. Now, he gets reintroduced in in picard in, in or so okay they weren't reviewing discovery they were reviewing uh picard i think anyway she he, that character's in star trek picard and she said she has received no check from from cbs uh for the use of her character and she was supposed to get one she didn't say it was a lot of money but she said she she hadn't gotten anything yet and she yeah. should have yeah um so Absolutely. all of these companies are involved in this and yes i do think that they are they are stalling using stall tactics and governments do this too with plenty of things where they basically just wait out for the people to die and then they don't have to worry about right. it so they they keep it like in some kind of you know litigation whatever i mean they just keep it in some kind of limbo i guess uh well, i mean corporations governments i mean really what's the difference these days sure corporatism straight up absolutely you're totally right uh and, and they will do this. They'll just, you know, and, and that, and that's, that makes it all the worse because I think, and kudos to Alan Dean Foster for, for calling them out. Uh, I absolutely would believe that Disney is just waiting for a lot of these past star Wars, uh, uh, creatives to just die off and then they don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. And what a shame. Yep. Well, so much for ethics in Disney. <laughs> well, we know they didn't have any to begin with, so it's that, really not that big of a surprise. No, no, no one's shocked here. I don't think anyone was shocked when, when Alan Dean Foster came out with that. Uh, but man, I mean, well, anyway, I'll, I'll say this much. If you haven't yet do get your hands on Alan Dean Foster's, uh, like original work. Uh, of course, maybe star Wars was his original work too, but, Get, his, get, get your hands on like his Pip and Flink's books. I mean, they're, they're, he has tremendous, tremendous books out there uh, that I would hope the 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 check would end up going to him. And I, I recommend them highly. So uh, you want to get into, I guess this would be our, our last bit, Rob. You want to you want to jump on it? Yeah, let's do it. This is a All big right. one, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, like we opened up the show. We said it was a tale of two mega corporations. Well, we got to one. Now <laughs> let's get to the other. And that is none other than, uh, well, everybody was talking about Warner brothers, 
but I don't think most people realized who owns Warner Brothers. Really, this is a story about AT&T, and I don't think that one can fully appreciate this announcement that dropped that was all the talk and still is much of the talk on the internet, uh, unless you know that AT&T owns Warner Brothers. But keep in perspective just how much beyond Warner Brothers AT&T owns. DirecTV, a telco service, broadband internet. Uh, I mean, and, and here's the other shocker, HBO Max, because what, what got announced was that in 2021, the entire 2021 theatrical release uh, slate of films will uh, in sync, in sync, will, they will release in theaters and on HBO Max at the same time. The good news is that means you'll have, uh, you know, Torrance day one. But, but the, and, and by all means, by the time we're done talking about it, I am sure you will. <laughs> you, you will be torrenting those and having the time of your life. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, so they, they announced that, that, and this, we're talking about major, major films, Wonder Woman, 1984, the matrix Four, um, Dune, that we've talked about in recent episodes, of course, you know, that everybody's been waiting for Villeneuve's Dune is going to be one of these movies um, there. I mean, it is a who's who of sequels and films of the day that people have been waiting for that are going to be released on home video the same time that they're going to be in theater. And a lot of people see this as a paradigm shift in, you know, what is, what does a theatrical film even mean anymore? And I think that, you know, certainly there is a, a, a sub-level conversation to have around that. But I really, I think that there's much more. But before we get into the much more, Rob, I guess I want to ask you at this level, like, how do you feel about movies getting released at the same time at home as well as in theaters? Well, people have been predicting this for a long time now. Yes. So it's not a really a big surprise. Um I personally don't have, I, I prefer seeing movies in theaters. Um, I'm going to make an exception when it comes to AT&T though, because <laughs> I have a history with this company uh-huh. and I promised long ago to, I, I will gladly take their money, but I will never, ever, ever give a cent of it back mm-hmm. ever again. Right on. I, I know what oily, disgusting, creepy, dastardly, disgusting people are behind this co- corporation. And, you know, we talked about, you know, Disney being the devil. You know, this this is another one like and I yeah. use that pejoratively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a mega corporation of mega corporations. I mean, in many ways, it's the first not not entirely, but right. in many ways. Right. Um. In fact, it's funny when you consider just how much they own. And we do, I do want to get into that conversation. Uh, so it's funny. I mean, go ahead. I, I, I have a great, just little kind of like uh, a side note, like uh, back in the nineties, I had a t-shirt that um, I don't know if you remember, they had a AT&T had a campaign. There was kind of like you will, and it was featuring mm-hmm. all these future technologies that were coming, you know, down the pipe that are kind of commonplace nowadays. But uh, and it superimposed the AT&T logo over the Death Star. 
Yes. Which kind of already <laughs> looks like the Death Star, you know, back then. <laughs> yeah. And, and and the the tagline of of the shirt was, "Have you ever seen a telecommunications company's display destroy a planet from you know uh, Earth's orbit?" In <laughs> at the bottom, it said, "You will." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, and and there's a lot to say about AT&T. Absolutely a disgusting company on whole other orders of magnitude, I think, even than Disney. Um, I mean, the, the way that they have played ball with governments to the point of absolute infringement upon human liberties. I mean, we can talk about room 203A, uh, you know, how, how they work with the NSA and so on. I mean, those are conversations that we could certainly have around this. Um, I mean, they are, you know, if there's a company out there not worth giving your dime to, this is the one, um, man. Well, I guess to talk more about, you know, I had already, so in 2020, I had already said, I'm not going to theaters anymore anyway. I'm not going to give Hollywood. And I, and I didn't just mean AT&T or Warner Brothers, whatever. Uh, I just meant I'm not giving Hollywood, you know, any more of my money like that. It's, yeah. uh, you know, because they're just, they're making so much shit. Um, so, you know, I was already there. Uh, and granted, like, you, there have been, there are certain, like, hotels. I know a lot of higher-end hotels that, you know, you can go to where you were able to, watch a movie that's in theaters in your hotel room. Like yeah, so, essentially pay-per-view. Yeah, it's kind of pay-per-view. Right. Like, I mean that so that that's that's sort of been a thing. And in many ways, this is this whole streaming thing is very much the return of pay-per-view. I mean, we can get into, you know, there's a big meta conversation around cord cutting that that could be had here as well. But regardless, um, I mean this doesn't surprise me. I think they are paying, they're gonna pay very close attention. To what are you know what's what what is the what does the data look like here as far as how many people go to theaters how many people just watch it at home? Um, it sounds like they're not going to because like Disney's been doing this like with Mulan, right. uh, where they would charge okay you're you pay for Disney Plus but then you're going to pay thirty bucks on top uh, for to watch a film. It sounds like Warner Brothers isn't doing that. They just want you to have the HBO Max uh, subscription. Now, that said, I mean, if, if that's the route that they're going, there is, even though they're not charging the $30 uh, on top like Disney Plus did, I think they, they, there's a play here to be had where they are going to lock you into, they don't have to charge you the $30. Because, well, like we were talking about, and I, I guess we'll get into this now. I mean, again, not a surprise because yes, they've been, you know, movie studios have been looking into, should we just go direct to video anyway? Because Netflix is winning and blah, blah, blah. You know, is the theater, does it even matter anymore? All of this. I mean, you know, that conversation has been going on for a few years. Um, but AT&T owns Warner Brothers. Now, like I had already said, AT&T also owns, again, they, they have one of the largest uh, telephone services in the United States. Um, they have one of the largest internet or they're one of the largest ISPs in the United States. Um, they Two have a, what's that? Two of them. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So bottom line being is that there is a way where they could really hook you into not just HBO max, but down the line, they could hook you into where, 
and this was a big deal when, when uh, net neutrality was a thing, right? The idea of zero rating where you, they can't charge you. I'm trying to think exactly how this worked, but like a, a telco couldn't charge you more, but what they could do to like incentivize you in, or they couldn't charge less or something like that, but to incentivize you in, they would give you like uh free data on a specific service, like say YouTube or Pandora or something along those lines. Right. And so basically they, you know, AT&T could do a deal where you get to watch all of our Warner brothers, hot property movies for free. If, and only if you're an AT&T uh, telco customer, right. you know, and that, uh, that you, I have little doubt would happen because yes, what, what they originally tried to do back in the early aughts was, is they wanted to, basically treat the um the 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 internet like they would have their own high tier toll road essentially yes and their right. content would be able to be delivered to you faster and in a higher quality than all the other content on the internet and yeah. so they wanted to basically they wanted to treat the traffic differently. And this is like you said, this is why net neutrality was such a big issue back then. And that's what they tried to get away with. So now they're trying to basically they're saying, okay, well, we can't we 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 tried to enforce our quote rights over owning the pipes. Never mind the fact that the government paid for most of that. Yes. Actually laying down the fiber. Uh, yeah. so now they're trying to go about it a different route. And saying, well, okay, if we can't own the pipes, then we'll own the content. Yeah, yeah. So I have a link in the show notes that ironically, and of course it's from a competitor, that being NBC, uh, where they do a bit of a breakdown on just how big AT&T is and really where this Warner Brothers deal, some of the avenues that this could go. Uh, some of which Rob and I have described. Of course, Rob and I have also brought up some unique uh, perspectives on the matter here. Um, but this is much bigger than just figuring out, okay, is it worthwhile to release movies at home? Can we make the same amount of money back or, you know, should we keep putting them out in theaters? This is significantly larger than that. Um, I still contend also, I think that be ever, and, and I, I forget which show I talked about this in, um, where I talked about the paramount decree, which, right. Uh, the Trump administration overturned and the paramount decree basically said that movie studios can't own the movie theaters, which is basically the, the distribution service for the film. Okay. And this created all kinds of issues, you know, where you had like actors that were direct employees. We, I mean, you can look it up on Wikipedia. I've checked it out. It has a pretty good explanation of it. Um, but anyway, I, I, I could really see where, especially with what's happening with COVID-19 and well, and, and the overturning of the Paramount decree that the movie studios would love to put every single movie theater, at least in the United States, put every single movie theater out of business. And then, you know, Netflix, Amazon, AT&T, all these, you know, giant companies just scoop up every fire theater that they can. Yeah. yeah. It's a fire sale. Well said. Uh, and scoop up everyone that they can. And then, you know, they'll push their exclusive content that way as well. Right. Um, so, you know, the studios not supporting the theater chains right now does not surprise me at all. 
uh, and wanting no, to, to do a deal studios, like this. Go ahead. The studios have always been that way with theater chains. I mean, Correct. if you, if you want to bitch all you want about the, the high price of popcorn and soda at a, at a movie theater, but that's the only way they make money. They, yes. They're not making shit off the tickets. I guarantee you, because I've seen the numbers. I worked in a movie theater for many right. years. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and this goes true for a lot of like different technologies within uh theater presentation, like DLP, uh, the different Dolby technologies where a lot of those got pushed and, you know, movies would be optimized for those technologies, but really that was just a way to, I mean, that ultimately hurt the theater because right. <laughs> well, the theater that when, when, when that technology started coming out, uh, the, the theaters, pushed to get it against it because they were being expected to foot the bill for it. You know, the, mm -hmm. the movie, the studios came up with this, all oh, this great technology and we'll have some, so much better presentation of our films and whatnot. And, you know, they tried to get the customers excited about it. Right. And no point did they ever discuss this with, with, with the, the theaters and the vendors of like, you know, well, who's going to pay for this? Well, you know, the, the theaters ended up footing the bill. Yeah. Yeah. So, so ultimately the scenario I see here and the reason you might say, well then Brian, you know, why are they even bothering to release it in theaters? Why not just put it out on HBO max, which AT&T slash Warner brothers already owns. I, here's the thing. They still have some investors they have to answer to. And also at some point when, you know, lobbyists or, you know, mergings and, or, you know, mergers and whatever else have to have to happen. Uh, they need to have some data to show why they made certain moves that they did. And I think that they would love to show in 2021, look, theaters, releasing movies in theaters, it's just not profitable. It doesn't work for you. It's going to hurt your bottom line ultimately or kills GDP or whatever the fuck they want right. to claim. And so that way in 2022, they can say, well, we're going to put it all out, um, you know, on HBO Max flat. And, and, you know, and they won't bother with theaters anymore. Now, will they swoop in and buy the theaters after the fact? Uh, yeah, I, I could really, you know, I could see that happening like, like I had said. Right. Uh, well, I mean, a lot of that's uh, going to depend on, on the next administration, too, because, I mean, there's there's a lot of talk about what Biden is going to be, you know, overturning from the Trump era and yes. whether or not the the repealing of the Paramount provision is actually going to stand. Now, you know, there's here again, this is just one of many things that they've talked about, you know, undoing the damage from from Trump. But right. it, like the, the real telling sign would be is, is, yes, if these corporations do start buying up the theaters, because we'll know at that point that, that they have confidence that they'll be able to get away with it. Yeah. And, and, and again, and I know when I had a recent, I don't know if it was on Sovereign Tech or which show I talked about it on, um, you know, the reason I think that a lot of Hollywood was pushing for Biden so hard, not just because they're quote unquote, a bunch of liberals or something, um, I think that they were so in force this election season because they, I think they are terrified about the Paramount decree being overturned because right. they're going to lose their, their free agency. Right. And you know, they're going to, you know, they're, they're not going to get the multimillion dollar deals because they're going to become employees to whatever fucking, you know, mega corporation they end up, uh, your, you know, mega studio they end up working for. Um, the other part that I think is really telling here is that, and why I think that it's really about getting you onto HBO max. Okay. Or about getting you onto whatever streaming services is the one that they want you on is because there's, there's a, a noticeable omission as to where these movies are getting released at the same time. 
And that's disc. That's, you know, 4K or Blu-ray. There is really no good reason why, if you're willing to put it in theaters and on home video, why the fuck not put it out on 4K the same day, you know, or put it out on Blu-ray the same day or DVD or whatever. Uh, that, that doesn't make any sense unless you really don't want, you're, you're trying to get people, you're trying to corral them into one specific choice. Uh, because you would do great money. I would think, I mean, I, you know, go ahead. Not only that, but I mean, you know, like I, I think they've been trying to kill physical media for a long time now, because once you have that physical product, that disc, you have control over when and where you consume that content. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right about And that's ahead. control they don't want you to have anymore. Right. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you on that. I think they do want to ultimately kill, uh, you know, physical media uh, because you you do lose control, you know, once it goes, once it goes physical. That's why I argue for uh, buying physical media when it comes to a lot of this stuff because – then you, the consumer, you know, get to keep control, right? Um, but you know that that's another conversation. Regardless, uh, yeah, I I I don't like it, it, the only win here is that you're going to be able again, you're going to be able to torrent these day one. Yeah, right. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, and, and great. And, and, and like I said, I'm just speaking for myself. I I'm not into telling other people what to do, but I will sure. never give AT and T a cent of my money. So that gives you an idea of of the route I'm going to go down with these movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm not going to go to theaters and I also, uh, do not subscribe to any streaming services at all. I, those, you know, first I said I wasn't going to go to theaters anymore. And then also in 2020, I said, that's no more streaming services. I'm done. Um, because it just got insane. So that tells you where I'm going. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't, I don't feel particularly bad for the streaming services, you know, at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, but the theaters does hurt because, um, like I said, I used to work in movie theaters. Uh, you know, there's, there's shit that goes on there too. I'm not going to say that they're angels or anything, but, uh, they're certainly not the, the, the demons that the studios are and, and that these mega corporations are. And, you know, uh, they certainly do business a little bit more honestly than those people do. And I do genuinely enjoy the theater going experience. Um, it, it's 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 a sad to, to see that basically pass on and go away. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree with you. Um, I mean, I I have some of my greatest memories in my life are at movie theaters. Uh, I mean, I like I'm 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 actually very and and that's why it was so hard for me to come to the conclusion that I'm like just never going to go to them again. Uh, because I mean, it it was. I mean, I was that kid going every single weekend. Yeah, same you know, here. Uh, yeah. To to go catch whatever it was, and if I had to see a movie twice, it didn't matter. I'm I'm in. I'm catching a movie. I'm in the theater. You know. Yep. That uh, was that was my impetus behind going, wanting to go work at the movie theater uh, when mm-hmm. I was a kid was because we got to see free movies, and I got to take my friends along with me, and we could do it. Like you know, there was some days, some weeks where we went and saw a movie every goddamn day of the week, and yeah. it was great. And not right. only that, you know, like, you know, when I, when I, you know, got into, to, you know, lower management in there, I was able to watch movies in a theater just by myself. And what, a, that was such an awesome experience. Yes. And I'll never forget that. And I think I've even said on the show before, like my earliest memory literally is 
seeing Star Wars at a drive-in theater. Yeah. That is my, the first memory of anything I've ever had. Yeah. That I yeah. can recall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same. I mean, many of my earliest memories are from movie theaters. Uh, I mean like early, early, like baby style, uh, which I don't know how I was in the theater. I'd never take a baby to a theater, but, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I know I was, <laughs> my dad just had to see star Trek three. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's how it went. Uh, but yeah, I feel bad because a lot of movie theaters are mom and pop run uh, situations. They are not the AMCs. They're not the Regals. They're not the, you know, many of them are just your local town fucking theater. And they're going to go on. Even the big theaters, the AMCs and the Regals, you know, the people that you, uh, you go and you see at the theater and working there are, are largely, you know, honest everyday working people who, you know, are at the rim of all these corporations too. And yeah. so like, you know, those, those, those people should still have jobs too. You know, they're, they're not, they're not making their money dishonestly in any way whatsoever. Yep. I, I agree with you completely on that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, this is, I mean, I think the bottom line here. So I, you know, we talked about what this real, what I think this really means and, you know, and your, your thoughts as well, Rob, uh, Rob, I think we, we grew up within a magical 50 years. Um, I mean, we're not that old, but you know, like th- there's this time frame yeah. <laughs> that, that was like <laughs> from like 1960, maybe to like 2010. I don't know. Yeah. Some, something like that. Well, well, oddly enough, it was, it, it began with the death of the old studio system mm-hmm. back in the late sixties. Yeah. And is now coming at closed at the birth of what seems to be a new studio system. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, don't, I, I mean, cause it's even, it's, it's more than, and I get it. Like I I've known for a long time for the, the entertainment industry has to find new ways to make money. Like one of the things that's just not a part of the program anymore is action figures. Every single fucking movie. I mean, I think there were action figures for when Harry met Sally. I, <laughs> no, I mean, there weren't, but it just, it <laughs> well, seemed I mean, like, go you ahead. Know, you know, if you, if like one of the, the YouTube channels that Brian and I both subscribe to and absolutely love is toy galaxy. And yes. all the time they talk about, you know, how there's just, it was, it was ridiculous that there were Rambo action figures because yes. no child should have ever watched those movies. And yet, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's right. I mean, but that, you know, and that's the thing, like, and, and, and I know I've said this on Cyber Tech in the past too, like, look up, you know, and, and you have my blessing. You can go to Google, look up images of Toys R Us from like 19, the, the 1980s or the 1990s. And it, it looks like some utopia out of a science fiction movie. Yeah. Like, it's like that, that can't be real. Like you're telling me you could walk around in that, you know, like it, 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 it's so mind boggling compared to today. And, and, and so that's really what I'm saying is that we, 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 and I, and I, I don't want to sound like an old man or anything in saying this, but it's just the, I, I have to believe the numbers are there that like the evidence is there that we lived in a magical time where these industries were able to thrive in ways that truly, you know, came down to joy and ultimately then benefit 
to the, uh, to the viewing public or to the consuming public or whatever. And whatever the fuck happened, these guys got greedy. I mean, you know, there's a million reasons. There's never just one. Um, I mean that, just, that world's gone, that world's yeah. gone. And, and now it's turning into where, okay, you know, there's still all of the, um, you know, it looks like it's all still there. Like it looks like the entertainment industry is there, but now you, the consumer are ultimately not getting the better end of the deal. And, and what a shame that we live in that world where you've lost control. Right. You know? And, and uh, the irony being is, is that back in the late nineties and the early aughts, there was this promise of the democratization of all this technology of making movies. Yes. And anybody could do it. Yes. If you just had great ideas. Yeah. And then nothing happened. Yeah. Because yeah. these people, like you said, got greedy and, retained control and basically, you know, created a, a, a closed garden where they said only we get to play with these toys and not you. Yeah. I mean, and there's going to be, and, 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 you know, I hate to say it cause I, I think it's only going to get worse because 20 years from now, there are going to be so many, uh, franchises and characters that would technically become part of the public domain, meaning that just like anybody can make a Sherlock Holmes book right now. And basically you can, or even a Sherlock Holmes movie, you, you know, people could make star Trek movies or, or, or books or whatever, and use the characters of captain Kirk because they would become public domain by that time. Right. There is no chance in hell that the entertainment companies, AT&T, Disney, whoever are going to let that happen. Like the laws, they'll, they'll just change the laws somehow, we've, and it'll have to do with the new technology. Go we ahead. have already gotten a preview of this, and I guarantee you it'll keep happening. And I'm going to talk about the Twitter mob again. Mm -hmm. And you just look at what's happened with H.P. Lovecraft. And I'm not defending the man. Yes, he was a racist. Mm -hmm. Yes, he had some terrible views. Mm -hmm. But there was a thriving, you know, uh, uh, community of independent writers who wrote stories in the Cthulhu mythos yes, and that still exists to a certain degree, but has largely kind of been co-opted by corporate interests and, and <sighs> here again, the, 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 the independent writer or filmmaker is not able to do it because of a, either the stigma attached yeah. to the original author and I, I, I don't think that it, that was a, a grassroots thing whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And then two, the only people who were able to like separate the, uh, the, the author from his work with any success and have the marketing power to do it are these giant corporations. Right. Right. And I think yeah. this is, this sort of thing is just going to continue happen over and over again. That's a very interesting idea. Yeah. That basically, and yeah, and I know what you're talking about, but I mean, basically they have made public domain characters anathema by like attacking the authors. Right. And the only people that, you know, only the, the, the corporations can somehow make it palatable yes. uh, to the masses that, Oh man. So, 
So at the top of the show, I guess I lied. This is depressing. (laughs) 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 I am so sorry, folks. (laughs) There's nothing good here. No, (laughs) Uh, um, no, there are solutions to all this. Of course, you know, people can be creative themselves, make their own damn characters and, you know, write books and never let books die uh, because books books don't need marketing or uh, uh, production budgets at all. You can do them for free. So, but only people consume them. Well, that there's, there's that. That's the problem. Yeah. That that's the rub. Um, but regardless, uh, yeah, not, not, a, I think amazingly there were a lot of people, the bulk of what I saw online were people saying, Oh, this is great that, Oh, we're going to be able to have finally have movies at home and everything. And I think they completely missed that. They are just losing more and more control. Uh, over the just the ability to consume the content that they want, let alone necessarily get you know access to it or have it. And well, I mean, again, it saves me the trouble of having to go to theaters. And uh, also, I know I don't have to get these streaming services at all to enjoy The Matrix Four, which I don't even know if I'm going to enjoy. But we'll find out when it happens. Um, did they? Did you see any release dates for any of this stuff, Rob? No, no. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I wonder whether, go ahead. I mean, we have a, we have a, a tentative release date, I think for Dune. That was the main one I was wondering. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think that's supposed to, to come out, you know, uh, Thanksgiving 2021. Oh, wow. We've got that long. Yeah. They pushed Fuck. it way back. Wow. Uh, but we, we have, I, I don't, I think, and I think, uh, I think Wonder Man, Wonder Woman, uh, 1984 is supposed to be like, early summer or spring. Oh no, I thought that, I think that's end of this month. I, oh, I is think, it really? Okay. Yeah, I think they were planning on a Christmas day release for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they must uh, have changed that from what I heard last. And, and we have no clue when it comes to the matrix. Well, I, so that one we might know too, cause that might really? be May. Okay. So, because I, so what I remember was, is that there would be, there was some talk and this could have changed. So I could be wrong, but there was some talk that John wick four, and the Matrix Four were going to come out. So two Keanu Reeves movies were going to come out the same day, and I want to say it was like May Fourth or something like that. But I, I could be totally wrong. So, well, I mean, you know, movies are getting just like video game releases these days, where <laughs> the release date changes, you know, every month. Everything's TBA. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're just going to put it up on GameStop. It'll say Q4 2020, and it'll come out in 2022. Right. So. <laughs> 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 and no customer service to be found, you know, but <laughs> oh boy. All right. Well, anyway, uh, that's where we're at folks. Um, <laughs> and, uh, at least the Mandalorian's great. Uh, looks like there's some interesting stuff happening in star Wars land, but, uh, Robbie, I mean, anything else you want to get out about this? No, I think we've had enough negativity for the day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, I'm glad the rafters aren't very strong here. Because, uh, <laughs> oh man. No. Uh, so, well, 2021 is going to be a very interesting year. That's the one thing we know for sure. Um, I mean, every year seems to be interesting in entertainment, but this one is going to be something very, very different. Uh, that's for sure. And well, we'll, we'll keep an eye on where things go, but I, I think some uh, very interesting theories got laid out here throughout all of it. I mean, especially Rob, like the idea that, well, you know, maybe these companies don't own what they think they own, like with Disney and star Wars and so on that, that needs more exploration. And if anyone out there wants to do some, uh, investigative journalism, 
you know where to get in touch with us. Questions at SovereignTech.com or, you know, go ahead and hit up the, uh, the, the Telegram group, which link is in the show notes for that. Um, we'd love to hear any kind of uh, insights and, and inside information, and we're happy to talk about it on the show. Um, but, you know, Rob, let, let's just end it off quick. How do you feel? I mean, what, what's your temperature gauge with Star Wars? You feeling feeling hot or not? Yeah, I think my my fatigue is just about over, and nice. so I'm feeling pretty good about it. Uh, I'm still not looking to jump back into the comics quite yet, but I'll get there eventually. Yeah, I can I can say not. I'll say not bad. Uh, okay. As far as far as the comics, I'll put it there. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, same with Star Wars. I'm feeling uh, hotter than I have in some time. Uh, yeah. like I, I feel very hopeful and excited. I'm actually even kind of excited to read, uh, the, the high Republic novels, uh, which I was not excited about that previously. So we'll see. And we'll be back with TIE fighter renegades to cover all of that, whether or not we were right about anything, or if there's just more that we need to uh, get depressed and yell about, we can do that too. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Rob is always the best of times, man. We will reconvene soon and see all of you on the other side. Now what you're talking I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic... You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take her away.